There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Jean-Marc Dusan. Jean Jamiroquai Lahanga. <laughs> Jean Condom. Jean Pierre Barassi. Jean Claude Van Damme. Claude Van Damme. Jean Luc, um. Duprea. Jean Luc Duprea. Uh, Jean Luc Godard. Um, Jean Michel Jarre. Jean Michel Jarre. Now we're talking. That is just a collection of some of the French names you can find if you start Duolingo. Um, <laughs> I, um, I don't know where that was going. Only I, one um, of those did the theme tune, the official theme tune for the 2007 Rugby World Cup. And we will come back to that in just a moment. Whoa. I want to start by saying, hey, is your name Jean anything? Oui. Uh, je m'appelle Jean Willowin Squidge Guy. Uh, oui, uh, et toi? Oh, oui, uh, merci, merci. Je m'appelle. <laughs> no, I don't know. My French isn't good enough for this. Jean Squidge, uh, Robbie, uh, whatever else you want to call me. <laughs> by the end of this series, you will know how to say that. Yes, by the World Cup in France, when Duolingo has caught me up a bit. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm still coasting. I'm still coasting. I will stop <laughs> coasting at some point on my C and GCSE French, but for the t- for the time being, yeah. I'm still coasting. You, you're further ahead than I am for mm. having got a like, 50-day streak at this point. I, I am the only person in the history of our family who has a GCSE in language. It's incredible. Which, well, no, then, you have a GCSE in Spanish, but it is a G. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an E. It's an E. It's so, an E. But yeah. come on. Yeah. Let's not, let, let's let not talk finish. it down. Let me finish. It's a GCSE. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You, you cut me off. Yeah. And it's, it's very, very much, I deliberately chose Spanish because I didn't want to do French. And here I am now having to learn French because I'm going to be in France for eight weeks. <laughs> How many times have you been to Spain? Uh, like three times? Oh, as an adult. I don't know. We went a few times when we were kids. Yeah, we did. I haven't been as a, I haven't been to anywhere Spanish speaking as an adult, but I have been to Belgium. I'm going to France for a very long time. I've been to Canada, which has a heavy French speaking community. And heavy English speaking community, but yes, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you You can get away if only speaking English. I went to Spain last year and I'm going to Spain again this year and I don't really know many words of Spanish. Mm. Uh, But the thing is, I only had one situation where like I was caught out and I was like, oh shit, I just don't know what to do here because like I don't know how to order this rap in spanish like i was there just kind of freezing on the spot and then somebody who was american came by and said like do you want me to interpret for you and i was kind of like nah don't worry about it and i just winged it through the conversation and basically whatever she asked if i wanted i was like yeah go on then and then because i just needed to be out there you went for a festival right yeah i did yeah 
you had to order the raps individually. Did you have to order like every type of music you wanted? One by one. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, it was pretty good. I, I can't remember if I saw any rappers there, to be honest. Unfortunately, I didn't. So the food just came in nothing? <laughs> You're mucking me off here. <laughs> you didn't get anything around the food? That's yeah, a, it just barbaric. it just levitates in Spain, mate. Do you not know? That's a hell of a revelation and makes so much sense now. Why you always see those flying tortillas. Yeah, exactly. exactly. They were playing, actually. Yeah, they were sub-headlining. <laughs> flying tortillas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, big fan of their album, Floating yeah. Tortillas. They're, they're not very big in the UK, but massive in Spain. Massive floating tortillas. It's huge portion sizes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is terrible banter. It truly is. Should we get back to talking about French classical composers? Indeed, indeed. Let's do it. So, as you mentioned, for the run of this podcast, because Tom Rosenfall, who recorded our previous theme tunes, was on tour when we were doing this, didn't want to bother him too much. So, we have been using, at your Mr. Will Owens' <laughs> discretion, the Jean Will Owens, sorry. We. The declared, the decided theme tune for the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Now, I always, every time I listen back to one of them, I think of it very much as the Heineken Cup or the Heineken Champions Cup theme tune. This is kind of how it always is in my head. I don't know if, I think there's probably I think a lot of people watching. that's generational though, isn't it? Yeah, but I think there's a lot of people listening that probably have the same thing that are going like, oh, it's the, it's the Heineken Cup theme tune. Cool, okay. It's the official theme tune of the 2007 World, Rugby World Cup. That's why it was written. Yeah. Industrial but, Revolution Part 2. It's a banger. Yes, it is. It is. That is the name of the track. Now, I thought it was worth us talking about this for a bit, because sure. we kind of largely ignored it. We are going to talk about Wales Against Australia in a bit, but I wanted to talk a bit about the official theme tune for the 2007 Rugby World Cup in this our entirely comprehensive guide to the 2007 Rugby World Cup yeah. on the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective podcast. And it's all we will talk about is the rugby and the things surrounding the rugby and nothing else. Yes. Yeah, it's all we've ever talked about. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, this was a piece of music written by Jean-Michel Jarre. Jean-Michel Andre Jar to give him his middle name. What do you know about this particular man? Um, He's French. I know that much. Correct. Um, He is born in Lyon, where he grew up. Yeah, I didn't know that, but his name is... his parents, who got divorced when he was 10. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I didn't know that. You're spoiling so much for me. So his name is Jean-Michel Jar. His middle name Mm -hmm. is Andre. Mm -hmm. Um, His parents got divorced when he was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote Industrial Revolution Part 2, the official theme song of the 2007 yes. Rugby Cup, which eventually, f- fun fact for you, went on to get used for the Heineken Champions Cup mm. theme tune as well. Mm. And nothing else. I believe at some point, and, uh, this is, this is a weird factoid. It could, it could, much, might be bollocks. I believe at some point he's played Coachella. I think I've seen him on a lineup there before, because they occasionally get like him and like Hans Zinner and like, you know, all of the cool composers that all the kids are into, like Jean-Michel Jarre. And also he was referenced once in an episode of I'm Alan Partridge. Yeah, I can tell you exclusively he did indeed. He's played Coachella twice, okay. most recently in 2018. Okay, okay, that adds up, that adds up. So he will have probably open for like Eminem. Where or did Alan Gunga. Partridge bring him up? I can't remember. I can't remember, but he definitely has brought up Jean-Michel Jarre, and I don't think it was in the context of hosting his radio show. <laughs> Fair enough. So Jean-Michel Jarre, right, is one of these people like André Rieu, who is inexplicably absolutely enormous all yeah. over the world. Yeah. I mean, I've got a bit of an anecdote about André Rieu. 
Please do. Please so, tell me. So, oh my god, I've just realised that I'm opening a whole can of worms by telling this anecdote. So <laughs> you you sort of know about this, but I've not, go on. For anyone unaware, Andre Rio is a Dutch violinist yes. who is massive. He's massive. He's one of the biggest musical stars in the world. Yeah. But no one under 50 has heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, he could play anywhere on the planet and he'd play, like, arena-like sh- level yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah, Not oh, like and stadiums, he's like, but, like, arenas, like, solidly anywhere. He's to the level of fame that virtually every live gig he does gets, like, simulcast in cinemas. Wow. That's that's insane. Like, he's that he's level of famous. He's playing Arena, like, this month. Is he? Yeah. Oh, wow. But, like, he will sell out arena tours and then have millions of people going to watch yeah, it in cinemas and, like, live. so many people just don't know about it. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, it just flies over the heads of anyone under 50. Sure, sure. So, m- my weird anecdote about Andre Ryu mm. stems from the fact that, and this is a revelation to anybody who's listened to, like, 100 episodes of this podcast. So, me and my good friend Jacob, after a couple of beers in about 2018, before we went and saw Paul McCartney, we went and made loads of beer-based, like, Beatles puns, mm-hmm. uh, like, song song titles and stuff. And then we decided we're going to turn this into an actual band. And so we did. The Beatles, uh, with their, their album nice. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Pub Band. Nice. Which is, like, 90% done. I think there's, like, two tracks we need to finish <laughs> off. But that's the thing that we started for a laugh. We're not going to play live or anything. We just thought we'd record those tracks whilst drunk and kind of decide, you know, we've, we've got got a few, you know, solid tracks in there. We've got so, something in the way she brews. We've got Getting Bitter. We've got O'Carling, you know, and the title track, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Pub Band, of course. So we, we had an inst- Instagram account made for that where essentially we just both shitpost and this Ringo Starr on there. <laughs> and at one point, one of us will have put like a joking comment shitposting on Paul McCartney's page. And we got a message from an account that was called Paul McCartney, but obviously, 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 it was Paul McCartney. Like yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody yeah. would name themselves Paul McCartney on Instagram. And literally, his profile picture was a photo of Paul McCartney. So it's like, oh my god, Paul McCartney's private account is messaging us saying, "Hello, I'm Paul McCartney. Obviously, I uh, just wanted to reach out to you because you're a good, loyal fan." And uh, I'm really grateful for you. And I'd like to get to know you. What is your name? And so we just responded saying like some kind of stupid name. Keith. That, yeah. Something, Keith's something the like stupidest that. name in the world. Yeah, apparently so. There's no one called Keith that isn't stupid. Y- yeah, Keith. That's a terrible <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> Take that, Keith Jarrett. <laughs> no context squid rugby. But anyway, so we decided, you know what? Let's entertain Paul McCartney on the other end of this this conversation. Because, hey, he was in the Beatles. Like, he's a huge, mm. huge star, is Paul McCartney. Mm, I've um, heard of him. We got really into this conversation with Paul McCartney and really humouring everything he has to say. And then at one point he asks, like, oh, yeah, have you got... Um, a telecast or whatever it is telegram maybe whatever it is they try and get you to go on to give them money essentially right Mm. and he said okay here's here's a challenge for you i'm currently having a bet with a good friend of mine and we said okay who's the good friend of yours and he said woody harrelson i'm having a bet with woody harrelson um uh and i was like okay what's the bet (laughs) and then he said the bet is that he bets that i can't get one of my fans to pay me 50 pounds in the form of an amazon voucher (laughs) and so what we did was we, we then responded saying like, oh, Paul, we'll do that for you. Like, we're, we're really loyal fans of yours. Like, you, you, you know, you, you encouraged us, you uh, inspired us to start this band about beer. Like, 
of course we're going to do this for you. Here's the link to the the Amazon uh, uh, voucher that we've just redeemed mm. for you. And it was like Spotify.com slash pre-save O'Carling by the Beatles. Nice. And it, he was there saying like, the link doesn't seem to work. It seems to send me to Spotify. Could you do something else? And at this point, I'd gone to training. So I would, I'd missed this message. For rugby? Uh, for rugby, yes. Holy rugby. shit. Yeah. You like rugby? Uh, yes. We'll get, we'll get into that. And then when I came back from training, I saw I had a message on Instagram for, for, to that account from Andre Ryu. And I was like, wait, what? And the guy had changed his name on Instagram to Andre Ryu to try and scam someone else. <laughs> and so we then had a long conversation about how he's now Andre Ryu. And then basically another Paul McCartney account oh. messaged us with exactly the same shit. Well, not exactly the same, but a similar shtick. It's, you mm. know, trying to go for that. And then basically we managed to turn the tables back on him because he was so desperate. And we said, look, I won't block your ca- account if you change your name and profile picture to Andre Ryu. And then we got him to do it. And he did. Uh, and then we blocked him because he tried calling us. And Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, I did pick up for about five seconds. Did you and- give him his note? No, 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 no. You can call someone on Instagram. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Oh, Christ, no. I didn't give my number. Although that would have been a really good bit of commitment to the bit, but no. Yeah. No, so it turned out it wasn't Andre Ryu. I can't believe, I can't believe that Andre Ryu is trying to scam people into thinking he was Paul McCartney. Yeah, but it's mad that people are trying to scam people as Andre Ryu. Like, yeah, well, it's, scams target old people because they're not yeah. internet savvy. Yeah. You know, exactly. so that's an ideal person to go for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. Andre Ryu. Yeah, and people called Beer Tools UK. So this is what we're going to keep an eye out for, right? Has anyone, has anyone as Jean-Michel Jarre tried to scam anyone? Probably and happened. if not, I think... I think it'd be great if someone tried to scam Israel Folau as Jean-Michel Jarre. <laughs> I heard he's a big fan. He probably watched the 2007 Rugby World Look, Cup. Anyone who watched the Scottish Rugby Pods, Dodmaster, knows I have form of creating fake accounts to slide into Israel Folau's DMs. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe this is time. Maybe it's time that Jean-Michel And real Jarre. accounts. And I'm, look, my own account got blocked by him without me saying anything. Yeah. He just one day searched for me and blocked me out because he hates me. And it's, it's, it's a badge of honor. You know, normally I'm not for that, but Israel Falau is a special case. Yeah. So Jean-Michel Jarre, right? Yes. He is absolutely enormous. Yeah. Right. He is nine foot tall. <laughs> um, no, he is. One of the biggest artists in the world. Mm. In fact, there's an argument to be made that he is the biggest artist in the world. Oh, okay. Wow. What's the biggest gig you've ever been to in terms of, like, number of people there? Uh, Kylie Minogue at Glastonbury. That's pretty, that's that's pretty sizable. There was, that's pretty yeah, sizable. like a good, like, 150,000, I'd guess, people there. Oh, wow. Like, it is, it is, I think, the, the second biggest crowd in Glastonbury history, I think. It's wow. the, certainly the biggest crowd for a legend slot. Mm, that is huge yeah do you know roughly how many people were there at glastonbury the capacity is about two hundred thousand, and i'd say that they probably had about one hundred fifty thousand. they had to tactically schedule they put bring me the horizon on opposite because they knew the crowd would be that massive like they had to accept like an early slot like just to drag people away (laughs) that's a miserable point for your own career it is yeah they they had to request it wasn't televised bring the horizon wow yeah so Jean-Michel Jarre yes. jointly owns, he is tied for first place for the biggest attendance at a concert ever. Wow. In world history. Jesus. Him and Rod Stewart hold the record joint. Okay, okay. Rod Stewart's infamous gig on Coco Cabana Beach in okay. Rio de Janeiro on New Year's Eve. 
1994, right? 3.5 million people wow. is credited as, which is legitimately insane. That's, that's too many. That's, I would say, I would say Jean-Michel Jarre tied that in Moscow. For the 850th anniversary of Moscow, he <laughs> was. In- off, yeah. I did. A, I did a big shrug. He was invited to perform, and he broke the world record. Right. However, it was at that point. Well, Rod Stewart had just broken his own record, but he held that record then as well. Before that, okay. So he has at three at four different points in his life broken records for the biggest ever crowd. Wow. He did it first in 1979, where he had a million people come to a gig on Bastille Day in Paris. He then, a few years later, did one in Houston, which had 1.3 million. Then 2.5 million Bastille Day a few years later. And then the one in Moscow. Wow. He is huge. Yeah, yeah. What, so what, what year was the last, the last time he broke the record? Uh, 1997. Oh, so it was before he released Industrial Revolution Part 2. It wasn't. Was it not? So industrial. So the theme he wrote for this World Cup, Industrial Revolution Part Two, was released on an album called Revolutions. Okay, yeah. In nineteen eighty-seven. Oh, okay. The year of the first Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Was maybe he was inspired by Superboot? Wait, no. So yeah, he recorded it in nineteen eighty-seven. He released it in nineteen ninety-eight. Okay. No, nineteen eighty-eight. So I think it was. I think he was clearly largely inspired by that French team, by Serge Blanco's imaginary ball, and yes. by Superboot. Yeah. Big, big fan of Jean-Jamiroquois Lahangar, Patrice Lebon, yes. and all of the other heroes of that team. The gang, the whole gang together. You know, he had a track on it called Tokyo Kid and one called London Kid. Mm. And those were clearly inspired by Mike Harrison of Wakefield, who he got confused about. <laughs> and we're looking at what, like Miyamoto, Miyamoto the yeah, yeah. yeah, Seiji Harao. <laughs> There's also a track called September, which I think is clearly where they, A, massively inspired Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah. But B, inspired them to move the Rugby World Cup to later because that first World Cup was played in like May. Yeah, they do heavily they structure. Moved back September. They do heavily structure the Rugby World Cup around Jean-Michel Bouchard's sketch yeah. and uh, I mean, song names. There's also a, a track on that album called Computer Weekend, which is entirely what they based the uh, Super Saturday on. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was entirely the one of the Computer Weekend. Yeah, so yeah. So they, they played all the games back to back. I just had a look so now. Computer Weekend. There's also a song on hmm. there called Last Round of the Pool Stages. And, um, <laughs> yeah. I'll give that a listen after we're finished. It sounds quite good. Oh, it's very, very good. Yeah. The Irish so, semi-final. That one never made it onto the album. <laughs> he wrote this... In the 80s, mm-hmm. he released it in the 80s. He then, for the Rugby World Cup in 2007, re-recorded it yeah. with the Prague Philharmonic. And he did a, in a an orchestral version, a new rearrangement of a classic track, which he put together as a lazy away because he was asked to write a new song for it. <laughs> but he's French and he went, eh, I'll just do one of my old ones, but uh, new. And so he, he did a new arrangement of a classic song that he had written. And I'll tell you what, I went back and listened today to the originals from the, the 80s. Okay. It's amazing. Yeah, I bet it is. I bet it it's is. It's like, but because you hear that that song that we all know is that kind of epic intro. Yeah, yeah. Was a, so John Schmidt talked about after, you know, 
looking back on this World Cup, how much he loved that song. Oh, yeah. How much yes. he loved coming out to it and how much it really pumped him Did up. Did he refer really to it going. at any point as a fucking banger? No, if he so, referred I agreed, to it as special. Okay. That, which that's, is close enough. Yeah, that's all right. I, I he said it's a very that. special song. Yeah. He said that a few years later, like after that World Cup in 2007, it was in around like 2015, 16, he was in a hotel and he went down to the bar and had a drink. And they had someone, you know, pianist, as they do in posh hotels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had someone at the piano just playing. And they started playing that, you know, his oh, kind yes. of rearrangement of Industrial Revolution Part 2. And he said that immediately on hearing that song again, he got kind of pumped up and was like back in the mindset of he's about to run out of the field. Because they play it, yeah, up. as they're yeah. Coming, the teams are coming out. Yeah, yeah. So Which that was is the like, thing. That it's, it's so dramatic. Forgot, like it's... Yeah. yeah, it's played as it's the run-on music for every and like, team, as well as being the kind of theme tune that played a lot of the promo stuff. That's it, and you compare that like in 1987, as the teams running out through the stadium, they played. Do you want to go to rugby <laughs> heaven? Let's go back to <laughs> very 19- bold choice. Yeah, they played that Tom Rosenthal song, and like, don't get me wrong, it's a really good song, but I don't think it mm. exactly screams getting pumped up for a test match mm. to me, and that's why well, a lot of the rugby was low quality hotel bar and instantly that coming on yeah 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 you know, throwing you and changing your mindset immediately into i'm about to run out it's cool that he final. got into it like yeah that he was like no this helps you know yeah and i reckon there's probably more examples and stories from players out there who yeah are, you know i'd love to whom this world cup was particularly memorable definitely which i'd is great. love to know more about that that's incredible but, so it's obviously this very grand, sweeping orchestral piece of music, yeah. right? The original is not that. Because you hear it's called Industrial Revolution Part 2, and you go, what? <laughs> like, why is it called Industrial Revolution Part 2? And then you listen to Part 1, right? Which there is. There's Part 1, 2, and 3 on the album. Okay. There's a kind of overture opening, and then there's three parts of Industrial Revolution. Okay. Part 1, they're all very distinct songs that don't bleed into each other. But you can tell there is a story being told through them. Okay. Part 1 is very, like, dour and you know, kind of down and whatever. Mm, that's England winning 2003 World Cup then. <laughs> yes. Then part two, right? The thing that we don't hear in his rearrangement where it's far more orchestral is the sheer amount of like electronic sounds oh, really? and like beeping and booping in there. Oh, okay. And it's it's really cool. It's a really cool little arrangement and co- completely different. Sounds completely different to the version oh, he did with the Prague Philharmonic. It's well worth going and looking up and putting in yeah like it's it's a really interesting change and he did fundamentally change the song and it works very differently in very different ways for both if not for the fact that we're 20 minutes into the podcast and haven't mentioned mm. the game yet i would suggest we go and listen to it now but maybe we'll do that another another game another episode um yeah but i i don't know i thought it was worth looking absolutely at the, absolutely the theme song you know because no, i think it's a really important part of this it's World iconic Cup. yeah I, I absolutely love it and like i get that thing with john smith that he, John Smith said, like, as a viewer, of like, I hear that and like, I get like the goosebumps of like, oh yeah, this is going to mm. be good. This is going to be a big game we're about to watch here. Like, this Maybe, is, you know, it gets you pumped. But you get why when you listen to that version, why it's called Industrial Revolution Part 2. Yes, yes. Okay, fair enough. It's a very, very different tone and vibe, but it's, I look I forward it's very to good, that. very interesting. Yeah, that's mm. exciting. I like it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So we should probably, I guess, move along, though there's plenty you can talk about with Jean-Michel Jarre and plenty we have. Yes, yes. I enjoyed that. Thank you for that, you know, long introduction to Jean-Michel Jarre. So, the game we are here to talk about eventually today... <laughs> 25 minutes in. Yeah, but it's been productive. It has. We talked it about has. rugby. It hasn't been that we've just gone, oh, broccoli, oh, do you like broccoli? We haven't oh, mentioned bollocks. rugby once, but yes, okay. We have uh, mentioned We mentioned once. John Schmidt. Yeah, that's you know, true. That's, it's rugby, isn't it? That's true. Carry on. <laughs> um, it is productive, though. I agree with that. Is... We should talk about broccoli, though. We should talk about broccoli. I agree that it's bollocks with your thoughts. So Australia's 32-20 win over Wales at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Yeah. This is an important game for many reasons, and all of them are that Steve Walsh was the referee. <laughs> right. I was astounded at first when I saw that. I was like, wait a minute. It says Steve Walsh, New Zealand. I think we all yeah. know what's gone on here. Because Steve Walsh, for anyone unaware... Referee that was frequently described as controversial. <laughs> Divisive, yes. Yes. Also described as bloody gorgeous. Yes, handsome, uh, charismatic. Look, all I'll say about Steve Walsh is he who controls himself controls the game. Which was a term he had tattooed on himself. Yes. He was an incredibly handsome man who was a referee, refereed in the 2003 World Cup and 2007, went on to referee in the 2011 World Cup. But for the Australian rugby union because shortly after this world cup he got incredibly drunk after a super rugby game went on a huge night out and got sacked right ahead of refereeing a game in the six nations <laughs> what a guy you see we so, need more referees like this genuine he was due to be handling the island grand slam match in 2009 okay. in cardiff yeah very well-remembered game, the Ronald Lagarde drop goal. It was supposed to be Steve Walsh awarding that. That could have been a very, very different game. However, a few days before that, or about a week beforehand, Steve Walsh got himself fired for <laughs> antics on a night out, which was his third strike by the end of RU. He was very, like, um, unconventional as a referee. Like, he, along with Wayne Barnes... They are the only two referees I've ever heard swear on a rugby field, like professional referees. <laughs> yeah. um, and both times I've heard Wayne Barnes do it, he's been quoting what somebody has said to him as abuse. Whereas I've 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 heard Steve Walsh drop f bombs on a rugby field before. So have you. Like he's just great. I just love him. Mm. The thing is, like he's not a great referee, but he's so personable with the players that yeah. and like so empathetic that you kind of just have no choice but to love him. And Steve Wal Steve Rules is a term that we have um used on this podcast before. I wouldn't say we coined it, I think it's been a thing for a while, but Steve Rules are completely irrelevant to what the rugby law book states, and that's fine. Yes. Uh his first strike was in the two thousand three World Cup and we'll cover this eventually. Okay. But uh he started a fight with England's fitness coach. <laughs> His second strike 
was during the 2005 Lions <laughs> tour. Uh, he, the referee got banned for verbally abusing a player. <laughs> Shane Horgan. Um, he had, he picked a fight with Shane Horgan. <laughs> and then his third strike was for antics on a night out, which right. I can't. What did he say to Shane Horgan? I've got no idea. Oh. We'll have to, one day when we, if we do another Lion's Tour series, yeah. we'll have to try and do, we should do the Steve Walsh retrospective. We should. Let's add that Just to focus the queue. on that. Let's add that to the queue. We'll, we'll cover every game Steve Walsh has ever refereed that's, that, that there is access to online. I just love the thought that like, he said like 14, just called over Shane Horgan and called him a cunt or something. I love that thought. <laughs> as I said, there's a reason he was described as controversial. <laughs> When he was terminated by the NZIU, <laughs> another official who had refereed with him, okay. who insisted on anonymity, told the Independent, the NZIU have clearly run out of patience with Steve. He was a walking time bomb, and it looks as though he's thrown it all away. The sad thing is, he doesn't appear to have anything much except for refereeing in his life. Ooh. It seems crazy that he's thrown it away. I'll have you know he's gone into business these days. He seems to yeah. be killing it at business. He loves business. He must be. He's, He's all well over business. business. Yeah. He's so good at business. Steve Walsh loves business. Yes. So the final strike was he went to a referee's training course and turned up really drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and we have no idea what he did at that course. <laughs> I imagine those things are quite hard to get through, you know. Yeah. I imagine that the long days. So if he brought a hip flask with him, then I do not <laughs> begrudge him of him. that. Yeah. But- However, he went on to, he originally went, moved to Japan to try and reclaim and requalify as a Japanese referee. <laughs> um, that didn't go well. I've got no idea what happened there and why he went for Australia instead. Yeah. But he did, he requalified and went to the 2011 World Cup as an Australian official. Yeah. But was refereeing Australia here. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing though, because like, you or I could qualify mm. as an RFU English referee, an inter- mm. uh, referee internationally, Wales. You know, Luke Pierce has. Luke Pierce has. I've met Luke Pierce's mum, and she is unbelievably Welsh. Yeah, Andy Brace, born in Cardiff. Like yeah. you get it. And look, I'm not questioning the integrity of these people because they're actually good no, referees. No, no. They're, However, they're, they're brilliant. Very good. Like, job. They're absolutely brilliant and completely unbiased. But mm. if I was to referee uh, international level, I would obviously be biased to Wales. I support them. Yeah. Uh, and if that ever happens, somebody's going to dig up this podcast and go, oh, that's proof. The, the, the IRB is corrupt. I'm localising it, calling it the IRB because we're covering 2007. Yes. Yeah. So Steve Walsh runs out. He is the referee. <laughs> he is here. It took me a moment to address the fact he was allowed to referee Australia, but at this point, he had no idea he was going to be Australian yeah. in a few years' time. The thing is, his accent is so clearly Australian. Hmm. To me, anyway. So this game, they run out at the Millennium Stadium, which, of course, the World Cup was in France. This yes. was part of a deal in order to get Wales and Scotland to vote for them. They gave them a couple of games each. It's all political bollocks. We covered it in the first couple of episodes. Yeah. But the thing that I found really funny is that because this World Cup is in France, <laughs> yet yes. the game is in Wales. They do all the stadium announcements in French first. <laughs> and did you see when the players are in the tunnel, they've got Coupe de Monde written on the walls in Cardiff? 
And like, I had a moment, like, I had to scroll down on the video and see in the description that it was in Cardiff. Because I was like, where are we playing this game? Like, I don't know. Like, obviously I recognised that Millennium Stadium pitch. Mm. But I was like, well, I've got in Coupe de Monde written. I've got everything written up in French around the stadium. Like, all the advertisements, or a lot of the advertisements are in French. As you say, like, the stadium announcement had to be done in French, then English, then Welsh. Like, it was bizarre. Yeah, they just had to try and pretend that Cardiff is French now. <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, yes, how do you do, fellow French people? Yeah, yeah, Cardiff has removed to France. You step off onto Prunzes Street. <laughs> I went to Google the definite, the, the, oh, that's Edinburgh, isn't yeah, it? What Westgate am I thinking Street. Of? Westgate Street. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to need to type this in again. Westgate Street, Rue de Port Oust. Very nicely done. Thank you. That was smooth. So yeah, Wales playing Australia in Cardiff. Mm. Very strange vibe to this. Like, atmosphere was really good, to be fair. But yeah, I think that mostly the, the crowd were very confused about whether or not they were in France. Yeah, I talked about this again on a previous episode, but there have been a huge controversy in Wales over how expensive the tickets were for this game in particular. Okay, yeah. They were the highest prices that had ever been charged at the Millennium Stadium for rugby tickets. Wow. Uh, or for sporting tickets in general right. uh, for this game. They were, on average, about 70% higher than when Wales had played Australia in the autumn the year beforehand. Hmm. Hence why I think there's a hand, there are some empty seats. Yeah. Because the tickets were so expensive and they're, off, they're all groups on the halfway line. So it's either that or it's corporate seats, which is always a problem at Rugby World Cups. Is a lot of tickets get given to corporate sponsors and they don't turn up. Yeah. Which is a huge problem that needs to be something done about, hopefully, out of this World Cup. Yeah. Because it was still an issue in 2019. Yeah. All of the actual seats that are available got sold out, pretty much. I think there was two games that didn't sell out in the last World Cup and they had like maybe 100 or 200 seats left at most, but they had huge corporate sponsor sections that were unfilled. On one of the worst days of my life, worst mornings of my life, most stressful, which I'll talk about another time, yeah. I had to get from one side of Japan to the other in order to see France v Tonga, and I did not have enough time to get there. And I ended up just sitting in a bunch of corporate seats that were untaken, and then Steve Maffey kicked me in the leg. Um, yes, so should we look at the Welsh team? Yeah, go on then. As the home team in a World Cup. So this Wales team, I I don't want to kind of like hyperbolise this or anything. Mm. I would describe them as fine. This is a fine Welsh team. I look at that Welsh team and I can both understand why they get knocked out in the group stage and why Warren Gatlin turns them into into Six Nations winners the following season. I get why this team is selected. Right, mm. and I'm not, I don't necessarily think I would have selected the team any different, but I don't look at that and go like, "Fuck yeah, you're beating the Springboks." <laughs> exactly. No, you've got a problem there. Gareth Jenkins as coach, though, anything's possible. That's true, especially in the car park. So we have Gareth Thomas comes back in as captain. Yes, he comes in at fullback. Which is kind of the one really big change yeah. from the game against that Canada. That and Stephen Jones starts. So those were the yes. two who kind of turned the game off the bench against Canada mm. when they'd had that horrific first half. These two came on and there was a little sense of leadership suddenly on the field when those two were suddenly a part of what was suddenly a part of Wales' attack in particular. So yeah, th- those two are huge changes for Wales. Mm. Sonny Parker keeps his place at 12, which is kind of the one position. Mm. Where if you're looking at this as someone isn't a diehard Welsh fan, you kind of go, okay, Kevin Jenkins, Matthew Rhys, Adam Jones, I remember them as a yeah, unit in the front row. front row. You know, Alan Wynne Jones is still going. Martin Williams is a absolute legend who, if you were watching rugby at this time, you definitely remember. Yeah. But he's kind of been overshadowed a bit by Sam Warburton since. Yes. 
because he was at the time probably where was the second best seven of all time and then Sam Warburton comes along and is the best yeah yeah it's interesting as well with Martin Williams like he was always kind of top three or four sevens in the world but never mm. number one because he played at the same time no. as Richard McCall and, it, and George Smith yeah even yeah George Smith a little bit David Pocock like Heinrich Brousseau like mm. there's a there's Dusatois and Bonaire, like there's a lot of names who cropped up and just leapfrogged him, but he was always in that yeah top sort of four or so sevens in the world, uh, but never Richard quite Hill. conquered top spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, just great player. We've talked about him in bits on hit yeah. in the past. I loved him. He was good at nothing except cheating, and that was a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, he was one of the best cheating open sides you'll ever see, yeah. and that was what he built his career That's on. It. He was phenomenal at getting away with cheating. His handling was very good, and his kind of support yes. work was very good. Anything that required being extremely jammy, extremely old school. He, yeah. he was so so jammy. But you're right; like he was but, physically a long way off the likes of McCall. He would not happen nowadays. You know, he was a professional international open side flanker who was just about six four and just about 15 stone yeah yeah that 15 stone is so light for a back row forward like that would not would not happen now he would be shifted into the backs probably yeah 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 at most be told put on a load of weight and you can play hooker but yeah or he'd or he'd just be stuck playing regional rugby yeah he'd be a nick cud yes yes which there's no problem with no it's a good thing no. But yes, I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah, back row of Martin Williams, Colin Chavis, and Jonathan Thomas. Jonathan Thomas, interesting, yes. st- interestingly, starting at eight instead of Chavis, who's starting on the flank. Mm. And don't get me wrong, Jonathan Thomas, by all means, seems pretty good in this World Cup. Like, I think he was pretty good against Canada. And I think he was actually decent in this game, mm. Jonathan Thomas. But he's one of those players that when I first started watching rugby, I didn't really see the value of as much as I maybe should have. I always thought, oh yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, but I yeah. kind of just saw saw his skill, his strength is just, oh, he just plays a load of positions equally well. Yes, exactly. He played anywhere between four and eight. He was a good line-up forward for a back rower type yeah, deal. Yeah, he was yeah. one of those who was just like a good all-rounder. Yeah. Yeah, no, you can see what he brings to the team, can't you? Like, yeah, one fifty odd caps. He's now the breakdown coach for the Welsh national team. Yeah, which probably explains a lot <laughs> when you see how they're playing in this game at the breakdown compared to how it's going nowadays. But yeah, you know, it's a solid Welsh team. Yeah, they make some changes on the bench. You know, there's a few rugby players on there. You're telling me, but you know, it's an okay team. Yes, still weird seeing number eighteen being a number eight. Yeah, they have Michael Owen covering there. But there we go. So the Australia team, on the other hand, is g- good. I would go as far as saying yes. I would definitely agree that it's good. Bloody good backline they've got out. Mm. George Gregan, as we've discussed before, is in the latter days of his career here, but still pretty damn good. Beric Barnes makes his first start for Australia here, having yes. his first cap last week against Japan. They dropped Stephen Larkin for him. That's Bloody how hell, they do! He made. I completely forgot about that. Game. And Larkin was good in the previous game. Yeah, and they drop him for Barnes. That's how well Barnes played Jeez. off the bench against Japan, against a Japan team who, by that point, were already fifty plus points down. Yeah, Larkin doesn't even get a looking on the bench. Nope. Wow. He drops out entirely Stephen Larkham. Drew Mitchell also comes in on the wing. That's the other change in the back line. Mm. Comes in for Adam Ashley Cooper. Uh, but otherwise, you've got Chris Latham, you've got Matt at 12, you've got Lottie Security and George Creek. And it's Sterling a hell of a team. captain as well. Like, yes, of course. That entire back line is insane. Especially the form Barrett Barnes is on here. Like, 
Yeah, it's ridiculous backline. It's overpowered. Mm. The one other change in the team is Guy Shepherdson comes in at tight head. Right, okay. So, yes or no, have you heard of him? No. No, me neither. So I did a bit of research into Guy Shepherdson. Mm. I googled his name. That was that was the start mm. of my go- my research That's on extension. You're almost at my levels with Jean Michel Jean. Yeah. So Google for context is a search website where you can type something right, in and okay. it tells you something about them. It gives you relevant oh, web pages. So I, I went on there and typed in Guy Shepherdson. And I saw an article which Google claimed was from two weeks ago saying okay. Brumby's Guy Shepherdson de- destined for greatness, says Bill Young. And I thought what? Um, is it as a coach or something? Well, I'll, I'll get on to this. I've kind of figured out what's going on. But it says, statistically, the Brumbies have the, had the worst scrum in the Super 14 last year, um, okay. which makes it um, especially courageous for scrummaging coach Bill Young to predict Guy Shepherdson will finish the year as Australia's number one tight head. Admittedly, he's been there before. And then explains what's happened in the <laughs> yeah, he has been there before. Rugby World in the Cup, 2000- and says, he seems to have been hung out a little bit to dry. But hopefully he can get back in the Wallabies squad. He doesn't have his sights set on that at the moment. And I went on his Wikipedia page, like, he's 41. Yeah. And ended up he in Southern in District RFC. Then realised it was an error from Google to update this page. Clearly somebody's edited this article or something to, in the last two weeks. Or something on this page. But it shows Why? up as being two weeks ago. I don't know. But I had a moment of thinking, is this 41-year-old prop still playing and wanting to oust Angus Bell for the Wallabies number three jersey? <laughs> Uh, not Angus Bell, Alan Alatoa, Talia Tupo. Like, so that was a weird five minutes for me reading that article and then realising in the small print they've got the word Super 14 and then go, oh, he's not playing Super Rugby AU. I love the name Guy Shepherdson. Mm, he's Guy Shepherdson. It's like someone, yeah, someone really panicked when they were asked, well, what's your name? And they were like, uh, as they were stood in a field smuggling a sheep. And they're like, um, Guy Shepherd's son. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Guy Shepherdson, the Shepherd's son. And he's had to run with that and go to a Rugby World Cup with it. His real name's Ben Alexander. (laughs) Nobody knew. But yeah, he comes in. Don't know who knows about that. Alongside starting Stephen Moore with a little bit of hair, which means not Stephen Moore. Like, that's just not him. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just can't... It doesn't make sense to me. I can't see Stephen Moore with hair and go, ah, that's Stephen Moore. No, it's not. I just go, ah, a man. It's an imposter, yes. <laughs> a shepherd's son. Yes, it's Guy Shepherdson playing hooker, the real one. Yeah, elsewhere in their pack, they've got Nathan Sharp and Dan Vickerman in the second row. Rocky Elson retains his place at blindside. Obviously, very bloody good player. And somebody that we started to wank over in the Australia-Japan episode. And I feel there's going to be a lot more of that to come in this Mm. series and other World Cups. George Smith playing on the flank. Yes. He's good, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He makes me do high-pitched voices. Can I cycle back to Guy Shepherdson? Go for it, mate. Go for it. Guy Shepherdson is a double international. Is he now? He's played for two different countries back in an era where that again wasn't allowed. Oh, wait, what? He played for Indonesia. Yo. But Indonesia weren't a recognised nation by the IOB at the time, so he was allowed to play for one that were. Oh, wow. Wait, so is he from Indonesia or is he... He was born in Jakarta in Indonesia. Oh, wow. So... His, so his dad was a, like, Australian aide 
officer, like government okay. aid would go around a kind of like a charity type deal right. for deprived areas. So he was born while he was in Indonesia. Guy Shepherdson played for an Indonesian team. Okay. As in the national team, a team called Indonesia. Yeah. But they weren't allowed to award test cap because they weren't a member of the IB at the wow. time. I take it he was also so therefore, like actually Australian qualified, so Yeah, yeah, his parents are Australian. I they love just, how they that was his second choice. Time. Like his second choice was playing for the Wallabies in a World Cup, but if if he had his way, he'd have just played for Indonesia. Well, he was the first Indonesian to ever play in the World Cup. That's class. I again, I just love that. Like he chose Indonesia first, then then the Wallabies as his backup plan. That's great. Yeah, can you know, kind of didn't have the choice of playing for Indonesia yeah. in organized competition. Yeah, it's a shame. That's that's really good though. That's really good. That's um, great that he managed to get a run out for Indonesia, even if it wasn't awarded a test cap. So, does that bring us through the Australian team? I reckon it probably does. Bench is Julian Huxley's on the bench. Yes, so um, just a fun name to say. Weird, weird era of Julian Huxley playing for the Wallabies. Weird era, yeah. Generally, of I mean, because that Wallabies team is either incredibly talented all timer or who. There's a, I think a lot of these players on the bench, I look at and like. It, this is definitely generational, right? I look, I see a lot of super rugby player names on the bench, like Scott yes. Staniforth and Julian Huxley and Stephen Hoyle. Mark Chisholm, like, a lot of players that I saw playing super rugby at the tail end of their career and didn't really get to see in their prime. Indeed, yes. So, the actual game itself, they make the announcements. Dans La France, oui. they head out. And it slowly dawns on us that this game has no commentary. No commentary. I kind of thought beforehand, like, oh, okay, you know, the teams are just running out. It might be one of those that when the first kick is kicked off, they go like, oh, okay, welcome, you join us here, blah, blah, blah. It's the sort of game they get Martin Gillingham on for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> one where they don't have a build-up and he just has to start talking the moment the kick-off goes. Yes, yes. And also at one point during the Welsh National Anthem, you just hear the sound of like, I don't know if it's fuzz or it's water yes. near a microphone. I don't know if someone's pissed on a microphone or what, but very strange. And it drowns out the Welsh anthem for a couple of seconds and then it comes back. And it's a good Welsh anthem. There's two good anthems, two very yeah. good anthems. So I think that there've obviously been famously the 2013 the England game. Mm. There've been a bunch of Wales games where you go, are the players or the crowd have done an absolute blinder here? I think this is one of the best performances by the choir of the Welsh anthem you'll find. Yeah. The choir is singing their heart out and delivering it in such spirit and infu- and like genuine, like moved passion. Yes. Like almost tearful the entire. In France as well. Entire choir. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, they've had a long journey. They're probably jet lagged. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's what? Like a two hour time difference? Yeah. Come on. Something like that. Yeah. But you're right. Like really good anthem yeah, and they, for both they teams. They knock out. Yeah, they knock out the Australian anthem as well. Yeah. They do real justice to it. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And sets up what is bound to be a classic test match. I'm glad you were there to commentate. <laughs> it was even more so than our recent episode with Claire Thomas. Really underlined the value of commentary. Yeah. Watching this game without. I found myself drifting in and out so much more yes. and not paying attention to big moments. That's it. And when tries came, you're kind of going like, oh, it's just stuff, isn't it? It's just yeah. almost done some stuff. You have to kind of rewind it a little bit and then re-kind of focus yourself because like, usually when you watch live sport, mm. if you, you're, cause like, 
as with any human, your mind slightly drifts at some stage. You think about something else, then the commentator goes, and now it's Williams. And you go, oh, yes. Mm. And it refocuses you. Like, it keeps you engaged. Whereas there, there wasn't that. You just had the crowd Mm. sound to, like, drift you up, which is consistent. Or you're in the crowds, and you're therefore automatically more engaged, because that's the one thing you're doing. Yes. You know? Like, you are... You have made a decision to go there and focus entirely on this thing for the 80 minutes, the two hours, the whatever it is it lasts, yeah. which is a very different thing to sitting and watching it on TV or on your laptop, whatever it is, on my iPad as it was. Yeah. And then having to go, oh, okay, I can do other things. You know, I can, at one point I picked up my switch and was like, what if I just, and I was like, no, I'm watching this for the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. What were you going to play on your switch? Oh, so I've been going through Metroid Prime. They just remapped and like a big remaster of it. I okay. uh, probably wasn't going to play that whilst watching it, no. but that is the game that was in there at the time. So I probably would have picked it up, thumbed around for a bit, and probably like put Smash Bros in or something and played that for five yeah, minutes. Fair play, fair play. Who's your current main on Smash Bros? Still Link? Link's always been my main. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Fair yeah. Cool. Good chat. I do like like messing around with the DLC characters because I've never used them much, yeah. and like every now and again when I play it, I'll be like, oh, I should probably learn these guys. Yeah, fair enough. Does, isn't there like a billion characters in Super Smash now? Yeah, there's like 80 players now, wow. 80 characters now. Wow. It's ridiculous. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Is Barrett Bonds on there yet? Uh, he's a me. Oh, <laughs> I see. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you have Barrett Bonds down on there as a me. I've got Warren Gatland as a me. That's pretty good. I'm pretty sure it's I illegal my... to have like a Wii or a Switch or whatever and not make a me of Barack Obama. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. <laughs> well, I think the me fighters I have on Smash Bros are Warren Gatland, Nick Clegg, okay. Claudia Winkleman, and someone else. Okay, okay. That's pretty good. I'd probably play someone else, or Gatland. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's a good idea. But it was just, you know, it's a good combination of people, and I think they should have a dinner party together, and we should get notes. Yes. Um, what, what, I'm about the game? Yeah, what I'm noticing mm. is we, are, we have the opportunity to provide the internet's only commentary on this game, and we are squandering it. I'll tell you what, right? There's almost no internet talk on Super Smash Bros. out there. That's true. That's true. No one's discussed that. It's all no niche shit we like to get into on this podcast. You know, there's there's literally no podcasts, videos on YouTube. Like, there's nothing on YouTube about Super Smash Bros. Yeah. Try looking it up. You won't. You'll find one video from Nintendo However, that just said, oh, we've bloody added Sonic. Yeah, exactly. That was it. That's the only um, update they've ever stuff made. Stuff about Wales 20, Australia 32 from 2007. So much of it overwhelming people are constantly speculating what players are going to put in it next yes, exactly exactly there was a point by the end of the game where each team had 24 players it's do you remember so when do you remember when gareth jenkins did updates every single day on things he was going to put in australia 20 australia 32 yeah yeah announcing a player one by one that point where chris latham used a pokeball felt like bullshit yeah, exactly. You shouldn't have been allowed to bring that out. No, you know, this no, is why no. I this is why I play Wales Twenty Australia Thirty Two of items off. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But like Chris Chris Latham scoring that try with Ho like taking him to the try line, which it just felt like a it was unfair. Yeah, and like this is the thing. Like I looked at that stadium, right, and I get they couldn't use the original version from the original game. Yeah, but why do they have to make it French in order to fit in with the right? themes? Yeah. It's it's bizarre. It's just it's just too far. It's too far. It's too far. It's too far. Shit graphics. But you know they had great great range of songs you could choose from there. Yeah. You know, such as Industrial Revolution Part Two. Exactly. They had actually Industrial Revolution Part One, but it's far rarer. Like you've got to play it at a certain time of day, and it will come up. <laughs> yeah. 
This is bollocks. Let's talk about the game. Ten seconds in, Adam Jones gets penalised for going off his feet at a rock. Yeah, Australia kicked the penalty and that's it. It's just like, oh, it's one of those Wales games. Yeah, where they never lead in the whole test match. Like, not even for a minute. I would have absolutely hated watching this live. Yeah, me too. I know know we've barely started talking about the game, but the scoreline flatters Wales. Yeah. Well, Wales are basically... Wales are good for the last 10 minutes mm. and when Australia have two players sent off. Yes. <laughs> and here's the thing, because I remember this game, my kind of vague memories of this match. I don't remember watching it live or anything. My vague memories of this match having existed were Australia battered Wales. Right, okay. And I remembered it being a much higher score than it was. Or, you know, I remembered it being a much greater difference than 12 points. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I, in my head, it was something like, you know, 38-6 or something. Yeah. Like a scoreboard that was really one-sided. And it isn't quite that, but it is bad. And so I spent the first 15 minutes going, this is better for Wales not expecting, you know, because they give away that penalty right away. And then not long afterwards, Stephen Jones kicks a penalty to put Wales level. And Wales are sort of in it for about 14 minutes. For like 14 <laughs> minutes, this is quite an even contest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting that. I mean... I didn't know what the score was or anything like that. I didn't really know anything about this game. It was 32-20. Yeah, well done. Uh, I didn't really know anything (laughs) going into this game. Uh, Just anything at all uh, about anything, Mm. let alone about this game. And now you know about Sharma (laughs) Shoja. So much. I've learned so much in the last hour. But, yeah, the whole time it just... I've seen this Wales game enough times that I just knew how it was going to go. Yeah, yeah, we're just going to get slowly and painfully battered, like... Yeah, and you're right, like, it held him out for, like, a good 14 minutes, as you say. But, like, there was one point where Shane Williams got the ball. That was quite good. I shouted, go on Shane out loud. Yeah, me too. I forgot it wasn't live. Yeah, me too. But he did go into touch, so ultimately in vain. Yeah, he went on too far. Yeah. Martin Williams does a nice little grubber as well, which is fun. He does. He does, yeah. I'll tell you what, though, like, because Wales' kicking game was quite poor in this game. Mm. But... Clearly, Gareth Thomas just, like, had the idea of, like, oh, I know exactly what we're going to do, when we're going to kick, and so on. And put in Mm. some really, really nice kicks and got Mm. some, like, really big, like, net gains for Wales and stuff. But the thing that puzzles me is, like, why didn't he tell Stephen Jones to do that? Or Dwayne Peel? Something that I thought never comes up is how very solid Gareth Thomas' kicking game is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone talks about him as being kind of, like, strike runner. Him kind of... Yeah. You know, he would really run and play with absolutely everything he was yes. and it it was very much his effort and passion and commitment his heart was that on his recommended sleeve recommended him as a player yes yeah and in his mouth in the place of teeth yes it was <laughs> he was a remarkable character also you look at him in this game like how was anyone surprised he was gay like the base layer he's wearing the whole look like it's yeah. there's something he's just he he, he drips it and i love it i love <laughs> yes him. i love i he's love gareth thomas. wonderful he's it's impossible to be welsh and not love gareth thomas uh, absolutely all of this absolutely the fact and that i know he's... there's obviously stories at the minute that are you know yes that are controversial but, and ongoing yes but and i feel they're too much to dive into now correct but on on the, surface, the player yes alfie the 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 personality and the character yes uh, i've always loved, loved that he's simultaneously one of wales's hardest certainly backs if not rugby players generally proportionate to kind mm. of like his body size and everything and also like an extreme gay icon 
I think it's yes. fun. Like, like it's genuinely fantastic that those two things like cross over. Obviously, always you know grow up a big fan of Gareth Thomas, but as you say, like how gone. There is no one that flits easier from really hard to really camp, and I love that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, big fan of big fan of him, Mm. and yeah, as you say, like his kicking game was something I never knew he had until I'm watching his games. Like, oh my god, like he, yeah, he has a really good boot on him, and like tactically, he's so sure of what he's doing, and yeah, makes a few really really good kicks early on, and helps Wales get into good positions. Yeah, fantastic. He's no, he's very good and very big part of that. Wales improving on the start in the previous game where Canada Correct. were better yes. than them the whole way through. Yes. The- and I think Stephen Jones is as well. Like Stephen mm. Jones makes a couple of errors in the second half, but he has a really solid first half. Yeah. In terms of like game management and like tactical stuff and like knowing about the game, there is no real flaw in Stephen Jones. Like no. I think physically he's not as good a fly off as a lot of the guy you know, like like a Dan Carter or something, who mm. is is more much more balanced and quicker and you know more agile than Stephen Jones ever was, but in terms of actually pure knowledge of the game, Stephen Jones was just always solid. Yeah, always his decision right making was excellent. He didn't really make many mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Again, another player who was both beloved and maligned in Wales because people loved him, and people also hated the fact he wasn't Phil Bennett or Barry John. Yeah, yeah. That he's kind of the the opposite of. The kind of fly half that Wales wants to romanticise all the time. Mm. Dan Big is very much the same as well. Like, there's also some, there is something in the fact that Wales, the last few generations, they went from Neil Jenkins to Stephen Jones to Dan Bigger. Yes, and you've also got a brief stop off from Reese Priestland, who's different. Yeah, James. Hood. But really, yeah. when you look back on it and you do those kind of like sweeping montages right through from Cliff Morgan to Barry John to Phil Bennett etc to Jiffy to Neil Jenkins. There are three very conservative fly-offs in a row. Yes. Yes. So there's a bit in this game where Shane Williams has the ball and Alan Wynne-Jones hurdles him and knocks him off balance. What? I missed that. It's very good. He accidentally tackles Shane by trying to jump over him or <laughs> to get behind him. There's also a point I've written down that like, I can't help but feel like watching this game. Matthew Reese would have been excellent in 1987. Yes. <laughs> he loves yeah. a scrap. Like every single ruck that he enters, he like he gets a little slap in there or a little little bit of a jab at someone's jaw or something. Really subtle, but he just he just loved to be amongst it. Also, throwing straight didn't have to be <laughs> part of your skill set. Yeah, bless him. He kinda of struggled in that area. I think Steve Walsh only pulls him up on it once in the game. And it's literally Alan Wynne Jones has caught it like Every single throw is so crooked. It is Alfie levels of not straight. Like yeah. it is absurd he is honestly australia can feel very hard done by for how few free kicks they got in this game yes yeah it's it's not a vintage day for matthew reese uh in terms of the line out and so on but obviously he's always good around the park and always yeah always loves a big hit and so on the i also wanted to point out as well it takes three minutes for george gregan to get told off for back chat in this game Three minutes I would have in, him and Steve Walsh would get on well. The first scrum of the game, Steve Walsh says to him, "Like nine, please cut out your back charts too much." And it's just, it's just vintage Josh Gregan. What else would you want from him? That absolutely is. That's perfect. And I mean, he's also very good. He has such a role in basically everything Australia do. Yeah. And that first half hour in particular is interesting because the game doesn't feel unbalanced. It doesn't feel like one team is much better than the other. And yet, Australia pop up. 
several times and just have individual moments of phenomenal skill where several players link up and all look better than their equivalents. Yes, yes. It's like it's like both teams are on a par in terms of like stats and whatever, but just the Australian players are better. Yeah, that's it. And that's and like really good player who I grew up somewhat idolizing, but I've not been impressed with Dwayne Peel so far this tournament. I have written in my notes was Dwayne Peel shit. Yeah, like I grew up like with him as like as you remember like one of my favorite players mm. as like the, the scrum half who goes quickly and you know is entertaining to watch and so on. But and like I remember that he was a very good player, right? And was obviously excellent for the Scarlets, brilliant in the most part for Wales, I believe. But he underperformed against Canada and he was kind of a weak link for Wales today. Yeah. The amount of times he will carry into contact because there's a slight gap when he's got no support whatsoever. Yeah. It's like watching Reese Webb. Yes. Yes. And like, don't get me wrong, Mike Phillips off the bench did exactly that, but he's physical enough that he won contests. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Dwayne Peel threw so many loose offloads and so on. Whereas like, you contrast <laughs> that with George Gregan. George Gregan mm. was the master scrum off at just, as you say, controlling the tempo of a game. If they need to play slower, then they will. If he needs to play quicker, then he is absolutely your man. There's a point where the ball comes loose and Dwayne Peel has a look of panic in his eyes and goes, I've got to do something, I've got to do something quickly. And he just dive passes to no one because that's his instinct when he's worried. Yeah. Can you imagine when the Scarlet's about to lose a game and he just dives at the floor and chucks his laptop at someone? <laughs> yeah. The, no, there's there's very much that vibe that like that's just... His default option is to go for a dive pass. Yeah. And I'm now realising... I've I've been criticised for that before. <laughs> is this a classic you hate yourself? Yeah, 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 getting, yeah, yeah, yeah. As your therapist. And I've always... Well, I always, as like a, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-old kid, Dwayne Peel was a player I idolised, as I say. Mm. And I'm now realising that it's answered a lot of questions for me. I'll put it that way. Yeah. The other problem with the Welsh attack is that it is... So flat, it's basically the Australian defence. Yes. Like, you basically can't tell the two apart. Jesus Christ, it's terrible, the Welsh attack, isn't it? Like, there's a couple of moments where they get things going and they look good, but they're so flat on each other and so close to the Australian well, line. You're like, what are you going to achieve here? Even when they make breaks, they look shit in attack. Yeah. Like, you know when they make like half breaks, there's a point where like Martin Williams makes a nice line break and links up with, I think it's Shane Mm. outside him. And even though it's Shane, you're thinking like, I know we're not going to score this. Like nothing's going to come of this because like, what's, what's the best case scenario? He gets tackled. Then we have, we have to try and set something up with a bunch of forwards who who look clueless. There's one point, I think it's at the start of the second half when, Shane makes a break, then Wales immediately go to spread it wide. And the first few passes are fantastic. And we start to get it mm. wide. And then in midfield, we find Matthew Reese and Gethin Jenkins together. And yes. both of them don't draw anyone in and throw really shit passes. Like really slow, hanging in the air, like wobbly off target passes. Yeah. Like one of them needs to be caught on the chest. And that's it. And like at that point, you probably have to accept, like, we're not scoring off this. We just need yeah. someone to straighten and just carry and, you know, recycle the next phase, get quick ball. And Gethin and Matthew Reese both just kind of go like, no, like, you know, they just add to the problem by giving it to Mark Jones who gets pushed into touch. Mm, exactly. And it's just, he's given no option. Yeah. He's given nothing. Yeah, it's not Mark Jones' fault at all. There's, 
there's another point like there's a there's a really good move Wales run where they've got like runners out the back and they hit them and they kind of have interlinking two waves of attack and it's going pretty well and then they instantly get smashed the moment it gets to any player who's got to make a decision rather yeah. than being pre-planned yeah and it's like this was really nice but it's so clear what you're doing yeah like you've drawn in six people perfectly but the seventh is always going to nail you yes yes and then like the next time they get the ball they try to run a similar move but instead they've only got the one wave of attack and so they throw one great pass one shoddy pass and james hook chucks it into touch that's james hook's first touch of the ball Mm. i was going to bring this up like i think this is a part of why wales couldn't get into the game because early on in the game they had to bring off Sonny Parker so Kevin Morgan came on get stretched off yeah. yeah yes and so instead of bringing on James Hook who at the time was primarily playing centre for the Ospreys yeah. and had played centre for Wales quite a deal in the Six Nations instead of bringing him on for Sonny Parker who was a 12 they would bring on Kevin Morgan and move Gareth Thomas into midfield yeah yeah when him and Thomas and Shanklin are both very much 13s when they're playing in the centres yes not a lot of hair in that centre combo either no then Gareth Thomas goes but, off injured near the end of the first half mm. and James Hook comes on and you just think, right, okay, we've not got a backup plan now. Like, we've n- yeah. we've, we've not got, like, a direct runner in the back line, other than Tom Shanklin, actually. Other than Tom yeah. Shanklin, but, like, he can't do it all on his own. We've not got... And Shanklin's, like, as I say, he's a direct runner, but he's not a Jamie Roberts. He's not no. a big bash bosh option, no. is he? And Gareth Thomas is kind of whatever you want him to be yeah, in this game. Yeah. And yeah, as I say, like he's a kicking option, he's quick, he's strong, he can do that kind of extra flanker thing. Like mm. he has a lot of tools with boxing, we lost all of them, and there was just such a sense of hopelessness among the Welsh backline yeah. where it was like, Oh shit, we've lost Alfie. Like it's constant just like shipping on nonsense. Yeah. Like basically every Welsh attack is you have it, you yeah. have it, it's sort of hot potato y and eventually it gets to Shane and he might do something or he might not. Yeah, yeah. But th- just like James Hook just felt like he was just there to overplay everything. And just like mm. every single time he got the ball he just threw like a long miss pass. Rather than looking in behind or, you know, doing something simple or boring or going himself. Uh, which surprisingly, you know, as, as his career went on, he did a lot more of going himself. But yeah, it was infuriating that the drop-off from Gareth Thomas to James Hook in the midfield. Mm. This is a very young James Hook, I will add. Like, he's yeah, very yeah. green at this point. Like, and I'm sure he came away from this game and learned a lot. But... And then forgot it again, promptly, a few years yes. afterwards. But yeah, it was it was very frustrating watching this Welsh backline, other than Shane Williams. But yes, we'll get on to that. Yeah. The Australian backline, however complete night and day difference. joy to watch holy shit every time they did anything even if it wasn't very good it was so good to watch because you could see like where they were trying to go on the f- like what they were trying to do all mm. the time and above all it's something that i think is so heavily hailed like andy farrell spoke about this before the six nations of 2023 started mm. that he views the most important thing in attack being work rate you know being quick yeah. into position being ready to do something and having people organized around you i think this australian team and the backline in particular are so built on that because they're so talented that if they just beat their opposite players the space they will score all the time and let's talk about matt gitto's opening try yeah glorious and also really highlights i think the biggest gulf between these two teams and we've talked about the attack we'll talk about the defense no doubt as we go on we've talked about the songwriting abilities but i think the real thing that stands out when you look at these two teams on attack is how good australia are at clearing out breakdowns 
Yes. From 1 their to 15. clean work is phenomenal. Yes. And their ball is so much quicker. They are getting right in and smashing out. They're going beyond the ball. They're frequently tying in extra bodies and extra players. And, you know, you could get away with even more than you can nowadays back then because no one was doing it yet. It was really yes. early days and that being a thing of like really targeted breakdowns that went beyond the ball. What's great about that as well, George Gregan does not bother sniping at all in this game. Like Wales have clearly no. done their homework on the Japan game, seen that George Gregan set up a load of tries from going himself around the fringes of breakdowns because that was a big trend for scrummers around this kind of era of rugby mm. was that, you know, going for snipes and kind of picking out holes in the defence, right? That was such a big trend. Clearly Wales have done their homework and gone like, let's not give Gregan an inch. So Gregan didn't bother trying to take one. Gregan yeah. would just go, okay, I'll just trust this incredible backline I've got outside me and didn't bother trying to run, which is just the perfect, it's exactly what Australia needed with such quick yeah. ball. Like they were just running running the Welsh defenders from side to side and getting them really tired out. Yeah. And so you end up in a situation where Australia have three rucks in a row working in from one touch line towards the midfield. All of them lightning fast. Yeah. All of them to say at this point, right, like quick ball was considered five, six seconds. Like, the ruck speed was so much higher than it is now. I think it was even maybe even higher than that. Yes. Like, you considered maybe seven or eight seconds quick ball. Yeah. But five seconds was, like, lightning fast. It was sort of around 2013, the All Blacks started saying, like, five seconds was their goal for ruck, for every ruck. Yeah. And obviously that's now down to about, like, just under three seconds, yes. like two and a half seconds. Yeah, I think you look at Ireland, they're looking at about 2.6, 2.7, aren't they? Yeah. France are often looking just to negate a ruck at all. Yeah. They're looking to literally place the ball into Dupont's hands. Or offload yeah. um, in the space of a ruck. So Australia generating consistently ball that is going to ground, then into Gregan's hands in maybe four seconds is outstanding of this space. But they're also dragging Welsh defenders in. And you see by the time they get to the point that the ball comes out to Barnes, Australia have run three successive phases that have all not only brought in three Welsh players with such speed, yeah. a speed they're not used to facing at all they've also brought extra defenders in so you've ended more people around the ruck even more that would be watching Gregan and it's left so light that Dwayne Peel who was previously filling in behind has had to come in and stand in as basically the the position where both you'd want your center and or center or fly half your kind of first back in yeah and a back rower yes and instead the nine is covering both of those roles because he's got to because he's kind of panicked last second because all the back rows are on the floor Really, really good, smart, sharp stuff. Barnes just spots this. He spots that he's coming into position late and he doesn't try to overplay it at all. No. He just slides in and it's really lovely by Barnes. And as I say, like Gitto is so quick into position on the mm. inside of him that he's such a genuine threat and Barnes throws the dummy because obviously Wales are marking Gitto instead and then just draws the fullback and puts Gitto under the sticks. It's so just fantastic, that attack. Like, you're right, like the ruck speed... And then the backs doing that justice by going, no, we're going to be clinical. We're going to get into position just as quickly. We're going to give the forwards the the treat they deserve for working mm. so hard. We're going to work hard as well. It's really, really nice. Also, you, you say Barnes draws the fullback. He does an incredible job because Alfie <laughs> was very drawn. Yes, I, I forgot about this. Yes, yes. T- tell me about that. I mean, Steve Walsh did not enjoy it. Steve Walsh did not have much time for this. As Barnes goes through and he's got Gitto on his inside, Alfie, I think it's fair to call it a flying shoulder. Yeah, 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 yeah. He completely goes like shoulder to upper chest. It's mm. He's towing the line, Alfie. Mm. And let's face it, nowadays that's probably a red card. 
Yeah, it's a top-end yellow. yellow yeah. with possibility of a red that would need a lot of replays in which Carl Dixon would find mitigation and penalise Wales. <laughs> yes. Well after the ball, no arms whatsoever. Yeah. It's very, very good. All the passion you want from Alfie. <laughs> yeah. But Steve Walsh uh, goes up to him afterwards and says, right, Captain, so... Right there, what you've just done. I can't give us a penalty restart, but that would have been an advantage, but they've gone and scored a try. However, you know what that means for you, though, eh? I'll see you out tonight, walkabout car. <laughs> yeah. I was very surprised that he wasn't given a yellow card for that, but mm. clearly it was, you know, anything more and you're off. Steve Rolls. Yep, Steve Rolls yep. indeed, Steve Rolls indeed. But yes, that's not long before Gareth Thomas goes off injured. And in fairness as well, we spoke before about Tony Spreadbury and his handling the head situation. Gareth Thomas is rocked by Sterling Mortlock in midfield. Gets like a huge yeah. shot of him. And it's clearly his neck to shoulder to head area that is stinging. And Steve Walsh just says, mate, like, don't risk that. Go off. Like, you're done, mate. Good um, and yeah. you know what he was extremely clear about? He's very empathetic. I don't think it was a concussion, but Steve Walsh clearly just thought, you know, even if it's his neck, that's just as important a thing to, to look after, you know? Yeah. And so said, like, mate, I'm not being funny. Just just go off. Like, you can't play on with that. And he couldn't. Like, he walked off. He, he couldn't jog off. Very unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah. Australia keep building on that try, though. Uh, they kick another penalty. Yeah. Put them further ahead. Beric Barnes, I think very clearly in his, this is my shot of the 10 shirt. I've replaced Stephen Larkham. I need to make an impression. Goes for a drop goal once they get into 22, yeah, which I didn't it. pay any attention to because we didn't have a commentator. And it wasn't <laughs> until half time when I kind of saw it go over and I was like, oh, there's a drop goal. And <laughs> half time, then they played the, the replay of all the highlights. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> kick the drop goal. <laughs> it's a really good one as well. It's a bloody yeah. great strike. Like, uh, he absolutely nailed it. Seems like a good decision as well. Like, yeah. just. Keep just pressure send on. that message to Wales of like, no, you're not getting a slither of momentum here. You've lost your captain. You've got James Hook on and you're three points further down. See ya. What less could you possibly want? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wales just keep faffing in their own half, which is really annoying. Like, you want them to kick the ball downfield, but they get, Dan Vickerman gets a fantastic turnover at one point like on the halfway line. And Dan Vickerman, again, like, I think he had an excellent game. Like, yeah. uh, whenever right. Wales, like, got a bit of momentum, he would just ruin it. There was that turnover. There was a couple of really important line-out steals. There was one in his own 22, one in the opposition 22. There was a charge down. He got a Dwayne Peel, which led to a chance. Like, he had such a good game. Mm. I w- won't argue with your statement whatsoever. Australia then, tell you what, I'm going to skip ahead to the next try because this is some glorious stuff. It is some glorious stuff. We have initially, Wales recover the ball off turnover, start to spread it wide, and it looks like this could be on. There could be a chance here. Matthew Reese gets it and dukes outside his man. <laughs> Just jinx his way through. It's like watching Barry John vintage put him in the 10 shirt. And as he gets outside, he tries to link up, but the pass is dog shit. Yes, it's terrible. It finds the floor. And also Matt Dunning, who drops on the ball, beautifully scoops up to George Gregan. Mm. Between the two of them, they clean up that mess spectacularly well. And tell you what, George Gregan, man. Bloody hell, he's good, isn't he? Like, he's so, so sharp. Like, mm. he knows exactly what to do in every single situation. He still has the gas to get on the outside of a man and then chips it perfectly inside. And it's an absolute beauty. It 
isn't a kind of hanging chip for someone to chase and it isn't a kind of slid grubber fruit he just kind of puts it exactly where he wants it and knows the ball will sit up yeah you know just by the try line yeah and trust sterling mortlock chasing will have the pace to beat matthew reese as it was out there geffen jenkins is also out there as well i think mark jones is about but he's on the floor he's fallen over in the whole process yeah and it leaves mortlock able to recover and score in the corner yeah it's a fantastic try everything about it from an australian perspective is just perfect like mm. george Gregan is in the right place at the right time and yeah that chip is just delightful like i don't know if there's anybody else in that australian team who could have put such perfection on that chip yeah there's another interesting thing that happens about this time is that the commentators come into the booth right i was about to play you so uh before we before we do that here mm. is the commentary on the try pretty good right yes pretty great that's really stand out and then yeah as you say there then comes a bizarre moment where you're watching this game and then suddenly you hear this inexplicable frenchman i thought they were russian random french invasion it seems pretty french to me i'm sure they're is russian. russian is it russian they're russian yeah russian yeah russian commentary possibly a different russian derived language it could be georgian or something we've talked about in the past but i'm pretty sure that was russian wow like all the words i picked out were russian words oh I mean, my Russian it sounded very Russian. Good, so either way, random commentary no, comes in. No, but at some point they say, da, someone asked, one of the commenters asked a question. The other one says, da. Okay, yeah. So, you know, little bit of Russian. Okay, okay. Either way, right, random commentary just starts coming in in an inexplicable language for like but, 10 minutes, then they piss off again. Yeah. So they come in for the last 10 minutes before half time. They just have a little chat. They're not really talking about the game at all, right? They, in, in that entire time they're commentating, I'm pretty sure they say one player's name. Yes. Which is Shane Williams gets the ball and they say Kevin Morgan. <laughs> And I think that's the only time they commentate on a player individually. My theory is that... What is it? Fox Sports, I guess, who were running this in Australia? Oh, Channel 10, I think. Channel 10, that was it. Channel 10. That they forgot to bring their mics for Rupert McCall, Ben Darwin and Ben Tune. <laughs> that they left all of their mics at home and went, OK, you're going to have to freestyle it. Just go with no mics. I'm sure they'll be able to hear you. Right. And these random <laughs> two Russian men have just walked in on a room in a pub where those microphones happen to be left over. Um, and then maybe the game's on telly. Yeah, exactly. Like, something's just gone wrong. They've just had these guys walk in. They're still eating their lunch by the sounds of it. <laughs> they then go off for half time. They leave for half time. And they clearly take too long a break. And they come back in around the hour mark again <laughs> and just commentate on 10 minutes of stuff yeah i like they're clearly paid by the game rather than by the minute (laughs) yeah it's it's very strange that situation and i couldn't figure out what the situation was with the commentary or anything like on the bundaberg halftime rap they showed rupert mccall's face and he was just miming like he was speaking but no words were coming out no noise was leaving his mouth 
and I really wanted to know what he was having to say on the Bundaberg half yeah. rap. I was really, really wondering what Rupert McCall had to say about Barrick Barnes's drop goal. Yeah. But we'll never know. We had to Instead, watch it in silence. We will know an awful lot about those two Russian men having a little chat. Yeah, yeah. What do you think he was saying? I think I think you should replace what was not being said and you should make a canon what he was saying at half time. Yes. Rupert McCall. Yeah. The Russian Rupert blokes. McCall. Rupert McCall. Rupert McCall. Well, the the thing is, right, you, you know what we all know about Rupert McCall, right? He was named Rupert McCall because he had a destiny to become a commentator. But his true real dream was to be a pioneer of electronic music. Okay, what's he now? What's so, he now? yes, he spent the entire entire halftime show. You had alongside, do you have any pundits? Ben Tune and Ben Darwin. Ben Tune and Ben Darwin, thank you. He was constantly turning to Ben Tune and going, you know, your name, Ben Tune. Just reminds me, it brings me back, brings me back to my days when I was trying to pioneer ambient and new age genres of music within Australian and European fields. I thought it was a very, very exciting time in music. You know, I wanted to try and use jazz traditions, but in a more new age electronic fashion. You like and jazz? That's what Ben Tune said back It's at this point, Ben Tune pipes in and says, So do you like Jean Michel Jarre? <laughs> and then Ben Darwin then comes in and starts talking about Darwinism. Yeah. <laughs> That's his favourite thing. Ben Tune, this entire time, was trying to get a radio to be on the right station. <laughs> but instead he was picking up a Russian station. He couldn't Ben Tune it right. <laughs> Stop telling me about natural selection. I want to get this radio right. <laughs> I think this is how all commentary teams should work. Yes, yes. We're, I don't we're, know what a Mullins is. We're strong but... believers in non-limited determinism, aren't we? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what a Mullins is. But I tell you, no, he's always mulling over the news, isn't he? <laughs> Go. We have to end this bit. We have, we have to. to. It's not going anywhere. No. Though I am very, very glad that Eddie took some time out from looking after that house in order to give us his wonderful commentaries. <laughs> yes, I I agree. Um, do you think he's related to Alfred the? Yes, he yes. was. Okay, he was actually his predecessor. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. My last note on the first half is lol. Wales are getting bummed. <laughs> Funny you should say that. At one point, you can hear a Welsh player in a rock, right? And they shout, leave me alone, you knobber. <laughs> Which is a gloriously 2007 Nubber. insult. Knobber. Wow. Knobber. Uh, Knobber. That's a proper, like, we've not had the in-betweeners yet, so we don't quite know what discourse to make up to, to insult people, young people. But that's like I remember people saying knobber. But I've like, never heard knobber before. Yeah, I, it wasn't popular. No. It was some some people would say clearly it I'm not a knobber and you are whatever no. it means. Maybe it was far Welsher slang. Maybe so. Uh, yes, yes, I was a knobber. Yeah. I wonder if Urban Dictionary's got a definition for it. But I think the very important thing was that had 
per grail, and they were like grown men. Yeah, they were yeah. grown men calling strangers knobbers. Yeah, there is something great about when you've not got commentary, hearing the insults and stuff that's going on the field. Also, the amount of come on Shane I heard when there was no commentary, like so many crowd members and probably players shouting "Go on Shane." Uh, every yes. time he got the ball or was anywhere near the ball. He took a high ball and someone shouted, well done, Shane. I, I heard someone shout, give it to Shane, like when they had comment. And it's like, that's something that you kind of joke about. But no, there's a lot of that being shouted as well. So, but yeah, I did hear somebody insult, like calling someone a wanker or something. But yeah. From 2004 on Urban Dictionary, an entry saying a knobber is someone that has just done something incredibly stupid. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. But there's also another definition from 2007 saying someone that's backhanded for being a dick. Okay. Well, we've, we're in that era, the 2004-2007, mm. the Nobber era, as this is known. That was the walk-up cycle, yes. Yeah, Collectively, yeah. it was known as the Nobber era. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's, there's a coach called Nobber who was in charge of Wales at some point in that era as well, but I can't remember. But I thought that was an interesting thing that an adult man said. Yes, absolutely. It's probably the sort of thing Ollie Barkley will write about in his column. <laughs> exactly. As long as his missus isn't around. He, She's he in stays, the basement. Stays, tied up. stays away from the keyboard when his missus is around. So the reason why I wrote LOL Wales are getting bummed is because Chris Latham scores a try. And it's just like, oh, oh my yeah. God, like we are terrible. That try is absurd. Yeah. It's one of these, right, where if you're watching it as a Welsh type, all you can focus on is how poor the defence is, because you'd be right. Yeah. But then you see it a second time, and you're like, oh no, it's a, it's a really good try. Yeah, it's really Just good. the defence is also shit. So, it starts with George Smith carrying the ball, and the thing you said about quick rucks and what France are doing, mm. George Smith mm. does that tactic, and mm. even though he has players rucking over him, he doesn't just pop the ball off the floor, he basically puts it over his head and throws it towards Takuri. And after this, Takuri throws a really poor pass that hits the floor and just bobbles on the floor and stuff. And it's just Classic irrelevant. Matt Gitter bounce pass. <laughs> yes, yes. The thing is, it's irrelevant because their, their speed mm. ball is so quick. Wales are still on the retreat. They, there's nothing they can do about one error that Australia do. And I say that. I'm giving the um, the stuff before Takuri's pass a lot of credit. But Matt Gitto. He's very, very He's good. unreal. His pickup of that pass off the floor, like off his toes, and then in half a second adjusting and lobbing an absolute pinpoint pass to Drew Mitchell on the wing, who streaks down. It completely foxes out the entire Welsh back line. It's just fantastic. There are six passes thrown in the sequence. Four of them are offloads. And all of them basically wonderful miracle offloads. Yeah. Like, the two last offloads that get it into the space and eventually into Latham's hands are incredible, yeah. right? Yet the most impressive bit is one of those two passes that wasn't, which is the Gitto pickup and yes. delivery of a perfect pass. Absolutely. It's it's genuinely insane, like Matt Gitto's skill level here. He's just one of the perfect, like, almost touch rugby players. Like, he yeah. spots the space and he knows, knows exactly how to get it there. It's just a beauty, and yeah, as you say, like Mitchell and gets it inside, and Latham finishes. Really strong finish by Latham. Yeah, can't really argue with it. And then yeah, Australia going twenty five three up at half time. Contrast that to when Wales try an offloading movement, and it's 
James Hook throws it at Shane Williams' face, who tries to offload it, but it lands on his own head <laughs> and accidentally bounces off his head onto Sterling Morlock's head and Australia turn it over. It's very telling. Whereas Australia run this beautiful, beautiful flowing move with Matt Gitto being this effortless linchpin that results in Latham scoring in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Australia, this backline is basically infallible at this point <laughs> against this defence. Wales do, not long after half-time though, get a bit of a positive... Let me tell you, before we talk about this try, Jonathan Thomas loves a pirouette. So, Jonathan Thomas, I always thought this when he was a player, and seeing him do it again now, him playing number eight, he carries the ball off the back of a scrum like a player driving for the line one inch out. <laughs> like he's going to make Drops a really hard quickly. Yeah. yeah. Like he kind of carries very low, very much charges at the midriff, hoping to make like an inch further than he should. Yeah. Instead of charging to kind of, you know, knock people off balance. Yes. And so, when Wales get within close to the line, that's actually quite a useful skill to be well practiced in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have a decent little build-up, like, um, Hawk nearly scores. That's how good a build-up it was. Yeah. Stephen Jones puts him in a bit of space. Like, Stephen, I think, manages his attack pretty well. Shane Williams pops up at 9 and at 10, like, a few times and does does very well. And then eventually, yeah, they get to the pick and go. They have a few good ones. And eventually, yeah, JT's in the right place at the right time and drives over. Jonathan Thomas gets on the scoreboard. I should also say, the reason why they got into this situation in the first place is straight after that shit Matthew Reese and Gethin Jenkins pass sequence as soon as Australia get the ball back Gethin Jenkins runs a, wins a fantastic breakdown turnover mm. and it's like you know what fair play he's just made a really terrible mistake and backed it up with a really good jackal and gets him into the territory where they do actually score yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Stephen Jones also makes a great turnover as well weird that isn't it which is yeah it's very good gets involved in the breakdown a little bit very strange did you also think the try was scored by Alan Jones yes I wrote yes. down Alan Jones try crossed it out and wrote JT Yes, I did the same. I wrote AWJ try. Oh, wait, it's JT. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did the same thing. Yeah, Australia get into the Welsh 22 straight afterwards in what is canonically known as a coach killer. Yes. When Dwayne Peel, yeah, tries to clear the ball and gets charged down by Vickerman. And George Smith, bloody he can carry, man. Like, we've not really mm. spoken about He gets a really good Jacqueline on Island win earlier in the game as well. Like... He's just everywhere, like, and he's not overly showy. Like, this is probably one of his quiet games for Australia, is the mad thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you don't notice him until he does something incredible. Yes. It's not like he's all over the pitch. Yeah. And Australia are attacking with such pace in the 22 that Shane Williams is caught offside two phases in a row. That's the quickest player. The most likely to be able to get back and then get off the line again is caught offside two phases in a row. They're attacking with such force and vigour and inevitability that they kick the goal from the penalty. And you go, what are you doing? Like, I get building a scoreboard and like, oh, clean start and we've just conceded and everything. But you're completely on top. And you're at this point, what was it, 15 points ahead? Yeah. The one thing that isn't going well for Australia is goal kicking. <laughs> They've missed like three or four shots at goal and they're absolutely tearing the defence apart. There is a, a Mortlock Dick of the Day nomination to, to come out of this, to be fair. Because that, that's the thing, right? Sterling Mortlock is the captain and goal kicker, which mm. is a classic power complex thing. He's the 13. He shouldn't be either of those things. Yeah. And he takes a shot at goal for himself. He's like, I want points. I want points for me. I want a full house. I want to do this. Boat Barnes has got the drop goal, so it's already ruined for him. And he misses. Yes. 
in fairness, even after he goes off, they're still doing this. So, uh, yeah, so not just Mortlock's issue. Because get him. Wales then, yeah. Wales then get into the other half after he misses. And they go, you know what? That's a really good idea. Let's kick for goal. <laughs> Wales are 15 points down. And they kick for goal. It's hard. With bloody James Hook taking it. <laughs> it's one of those, the, the James Hook killer ones as well, that's just next to the posts. Yeah. Like, that's his favourite one to miss. I did not expect him to get it from a moment. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, I was off the edge of my seat there. He somehow nails it, though he does shortly afterwards, where he was get another penalty. They're now only 12 points behind, so obviously Hook goes for it again from basically halfway. And obviously he scuffs it, and the ball gets cleared. There's a bit of a kicking back and forth. They put up a bomb, and guess who's underneath it? But the one, the only, Stephen Jones, the safest pair of hands in the Welsh team. The man you'd want to take everything, to be in a high-pressured situation. You know, the guy you feel you can trust the most in that entire side. Mm-hmm. And it goes really well. He recovers the ball, he kicks it back. It does, <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Brilliant by Stephen Jones. Um, yeah, kicks it, kick, kicks it back and nothing, nothing else happens. That, Why'd you ask? That joke is only for us because no one else remembers this game well. <laughs> I'll tell you what, like, in the hypothetical world where Stephen Jones drops that ball and Chris Latham goes the distance, in that hypothetical world, which isn't this one, right? Okay. By the way, it's weird that at one point when they scored the, the another try that they were rewarded 14 points for it rather than seven, isn't it? Weird that, That's isn't weird. it? Very strange. This is, the, this is their last try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the early ones, isn't it? Right, okay, of yeah. course, yeah. So, sorry, so Wales were um, 22 points behind. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you for the correction. But yeah, anyway, in the hypothetical world where um, the alternate universe where Stephen Jones drops this ball, right, mm. I feel really sorry for him because it's like, oh yeah, well, he's, you know, such as you say, such a safe pair of hands, right? And also because, like, I looked at this I went, fucking hell, James Hawk, do something useful. What are you doing, man? Like, you, you, you're there at fullback. You're supposed to be, like, filling the boots with Gareth Thomas. You couldn't lace that man's boots, man. Like, you're, you're there. You're in the wrong position. You, you clearly, you've overrun the ball. It's not that good a kick. Latham has read it so much better than you. You are shit, mate. And then I see the reverse angle go at Stephen Jones and go, oh, Steve-o, mate. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's unlucky. Yeah. That's unlucky, pal. See you next week. I, I was largely the same. It's funny how narrative shapes your view, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But good, good thing was, yeah, it was Stephen Jones, not James Hook, and he caught the ball and he just kicked it back. No yeah, so it wasn't a Nothing problem. Nothing to see here. Uh, Don't if... want to talk about it. Jesus fucking Christ, James <laughs> Hook. That was actually in Stephen Jones' body. <laughs> Stephen Jones. Stephen. Fucking he just completely mis, completely misjudges it. Just like yeah. jumps in the wrong place, arms all over the place. It's terrible. Yeah. Australia get their bonus point in. Which they seem desperate not to get. The moment they get the third try, they're like, cool, great, let's back up there. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Three try bonus point. Oh, cheers for informing us, Wales. Cheers, lads. <laughs> they have another nailed on try they're about to score where they do some lovely handling, get it out to Drew Mitchell, who then goes, nah, I'm going myself. When he's got two men on his inside who are definitely scoring if he gives the pass. What a tackle and- by Kevin Morgan, though. Yeah, full credit to Kevin Morgan. It's fantastic! Man. It's so completely good. commits, nails him. It's like it's not just body on the line, Lee Harpenny style. His technique is so good. Mm. <laughs> and like, Harpenny's never is. Yeah, but like he dislodges the ball, and Shane has a bit of a mm. run off the back of it. Like fantastic by Kevin Morgan. It's so phenomenal. good when it's... you when you you know thirty odd points down or whatever. Like it's one of those that you want to show kids. Yeah, 
you know, like not for them to learn from, just in general. Yeah, just any kids. <laughs> you just want to, you just you just want to, to pull kids over and, go, and just go. All right, lads, here's a video. How you doing? How you doing? It's a video. He's called Kevin. <laughs> it's Kevin. Kevin Morgan. It's got I hate him. Kevin. I hate him. There's never been a good person called Kevin. First the Keiths and now I, the Kevins. I forgot I said Keith and not Kevin. <laughs> well, you think that all Keiths are stupid and you hate everyone called Kevin. I want this bit to end at the end of this episode. I do not want this to continue. <laughs> okay, okay, we won't publish this but and put it out as a podcast for, for hundreds the rest of thousands, for fucking millions of people to listen to. <laughs> that's true, that's true. That if you were to look at kind of the, the Venn diagram of people that went to Jean-Michel Jarre concerts and people listen to this podcast, same. Yeah, they're like, all the same. same listenership. I think you we know, are same slightly more people. popular than Jean-Michel Jarre. It's, cl- it's close, yeah. right? It's close. He but... never hired people to put headphones on, yeah. you know. On other people and just walk around and with them. If 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 he is more popular than this podcast, then mm. it's not by much. It's by it's marginal. Like a few. It's marginal. It's by like a few million. A few. Yeah. A few hundred. Yeah. Millions. Billions. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Like I reckon, similar numbers are listening to us on Spotify. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like similar. Yeah. Similar in that they're both numbers. Yeah. Like they're not close. Like numerically. But they're similar numbers. They are numbers, yeah. They are numbers. Similar numbers. Like, if you were to write them down, your brain would look at them both and go, oh, numbers. Yeah, like Jiffy. You know, like eight and, yeah, it's a number. you know, 300 million. I think they're they're similar. Yeah. 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 Cool. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Drew Mitchell does a tip tackle on Matthew Reese and gets yellow cards for it. Yeah. Uh, which I kind of missed. And I was like, what's... Because he was kind of... Steve was giving, like, a repeat infringements thing. And you're like... Wait, why have you binned him? The, the yeah. War? I'm like, oh, right, okay, there was a fine. What um, on earth that's did Nathan Sharp story. get yellow carded for? I could have told you at the time, but I couldn't now because no, I didn't enough. write that down. Because I just saw him get yellow carded and I was like, wait, what the hell? Like, Wales were just held up over the try line. Where's the penalty come from? So I really couldn't figure that out. The, to oh, be- no, he was offside. He was offside for oh, the tackle. Oh, okay, fair enough. Try. So, I was going to say, yeah. it made up for my confusion of earlier in the game when Kevin Morgan did this chip kick downfield. Latham takes him out. That Steve Walsh goes and talks to the touch judge about it. goes, right, okay, penalty where it lands. And yellow card, I guess? And they're like, okay, yeah, sure. And then he gives the kind of yellow card to Chris Latham where you don't actually bring the yellow card out of your pocket um, <laughs> and you don't send him to the sideline for 10 minutes. You say, yeah, all right, just get back to fullback. Don't do that again. Um, it's like a football-style yellow card, you know? Tell you what, right, Rocky Ellison has a phenomenal moment where Kevin Morgan pumps it long on turnover and they've got him, Shane Williams, James Hulk all chasing. And Elsom is the only guy back. Somehow recovers it and beats both of them. Yeah, yeah. And gets an offload in as well. I yeah. think that's the same incident, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Elsom's work rate's ridiculous. One of those players that just creates moments. Yes. Rocky Elsom. Yes. He's so good. He's so good. Uh, really good leader. Great carrier. Yeah. The long. Can we just briefly talk about Wales? Suddenly... Their attack has been absolutely dog shit all game. There is one moment where it's suddenly incredible, where they run this really weird set play thing, where it was like a two-phase move, and the second phase had Shane stood in at 10, and 9 would loop around Shane. Mm. And Mm. James Hook would run this weird curved angle outside him, with Kevin Morgan on the inside running it, and Shane did this beautiful chip over the top, and Wales is suddenly like 50 metres upfield, and it's like, wait... Lads, why are we good now? You know what the thing they were missing is, don't you? Shane. 
No, Duncan Jones on the wing. Duncan Jones on the wing was fantastic. He was like permanently on there, like it's like an edge forward. Yeah, the most Duncan Jones edge gets the ball on the wing twice. Yeah, it's great. and both times makes at least five or six meters. Yeah, it's great. I love the one, the one where um him and Gethin do a one-two. Yes. <laughs> they're both panicking and they're like near the try line. <laughs> they're just doing this really weird. Like it's like two like under 10s players who are best friends and it's like yeah i'll pass to you when i get it it's very duncan jones's stats in this game must be the highest of his career because it was probably like what three carries for 15 meters yes (laughs) yeah also can we just talk about like nugget is absolutely everywhere when wales get become good yeah like yeah, he's yeah, taking yeah. all the yeah. quick taps and like playing it's... scrum half like smite phillips on at this point so basically they swap nugget to nine and put phillips at flanker the better wales get the better nugget gets yes a martin yeah. williams for anyone you know yes otherwise confused and it's not the other way around it's not when <laughs> nugget gets good wales get good no because nugget has a pretty good game i think all round. yes but the moment Wales start playing well, which is literally the moment they're against 13 men. Yeah. To be fair, actually, there's a few good passages against 14. But <laughs> it's when they're against 15, it's a problem. Yes. Nugget just keeps growing and growing and growing as his chance to shit out on fewer men gets greater. <laughs> you know, if there's only 13 of them, he can only shit out on, he can shit out on each of them to a greater kind of condensation like there's more shit if we were to do a massive shit and it landed on 15 people okay each person I've has done that, shit yeah. on them then <laughs> we'll discuss that another time then if he did it on 13 people but it was the same size shit yeah okay okay so that's what's motivating him i think great analogy man well done thank you there's a point where like nugget takes a quick tap and gives it to mike phillips on the crash ball and the mad thing is that's <laughs> the correct way around to do that yeah <laughs> we also so the great thing that happens right at the end is where we spend a bunch of time looking really good in attack, then they get up the trial line and it's terrible. And it's terrible. Oh my God, the amount of panic. <laughs> and yeah, they've got no composure, no chill whatsoever, no idea what they're going to do, how they're going to execute this, how they're going to actually get over those final few metres, those final few inches, having made up the first 80 I've quite got easily. got a really good idea of how to make for up those last few inches. Well, this is the thing, right? So Shane Williams was his all-time top try scorer, was my all-time favourite player up until he started doing commentary. And I felt I'd seen, you know, almost all of, if not all of, his tries for Wales. Yeah. You know, I felt like I knew them, I'd seen them. I therefore know normally when we start watching a game if Shane scores on it, because I've watched so many highlights compilations. I'm so kind of, such a former Shaneologist. Yes. No, 100%. I agree. I'm, I'm very much following what you're saying here. And so... Turns out, the last five minutes of this game have a Shane Williams try that I've never seen. And with good reason. Yeah, that because is the it's shit try of Shane Williams' career. Is literally what I have written in my notes. When you say about, like, Wales put strung together this really good phase of attack. Like, they get up to the try line. It's like, it's fluid. It's fast. They've got forwards and backs both handling the ball brilliantly. And then they get up to the try line and they just completely panic and have no idea what to do. As I say, Gethin and Duncan doing a one-two to each other <laughs> and so on. Like, And then you reach a point where it's like, okay, I know exactly what we need to make up this last five inches. I've got a genius plan. Let's have Michael Owen, who no one knew was on the field. Come on, <laughs> for 
for a random mispass to Magito, one of Australia's best players, for him to just drop and Shane Williams to just fall on it by accident. <laughs> You've missed a key step here, what? right? So yeah, Michael Owen goes this really floated pass. Well, like he's trying to. Michael Owen's on the pitch, by the way. Yeah, no one knew. Wearing eighteen, so I was like, "Is this a prop? Yeah. Who is this?" Literally, I looked him. I was, I was like, like, "He looks like Michael Owen. <laughs> he looks you? like our father, Michael <laughs> Owen." Who's this guy? Who's Wales number eighteen? Who are you? Are you a rugby player? Like, what are you doing <laughs> on the pitch? So he goes to throw this really like he's clearly going to throw the really wide ball to Shanklin, who's outside Shane Williams, right on the touchline. He's trying to throw that. He gets three men too few because he goes straight into Gitto's hands. He recovers it, goes like, I can't believe he just did that. Drops it. He just drops the ball. Shane Williams knocks it on and then it falls, fumbles forward over the line where he drops on it. But because of the TMO laws at the time, the TMO can only comment on the grounding. You know, he can't comment anything before the goal line. So even though Shane has just knocked, Gitto's knocked it on, then Shane's knocked it on. The try is awarded to Shane. Michael Owen, or whoever it was that was just wearing a, a whale shirt that had 18 on the back. There was just somebody yeah. on the pitch. Who was that, right? We're presuming it's Michael Owen going by the team sheets, right? But just some guy on the field was, as you say, three men too few and the wrong team. His pass is <laughs> Shane Williams. That contributes to Shane Williams' record of being like, what, what is he, almost level with David Campese in the all-time top try scorers? He's one or two short of David Campese, is he? To be fair, we've talked about Campese scoring some terrible tries <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> That's true. but like, like, don't hold that against him. But, like, that contributes to Shane Williams' try record. But, like, it's terrible. Shane Williams is one of three players in the history of the game who has a Wikipedia page dedicated to every try he ever scores. Which is fantastic. So that's right? on there. That's one of them. That's one of them. That is one of them. That's one sixtieth of his international tries. That was his 32nd try for Wales. And safely his shittest. <laughs> yes. Maybe we should do that one day. Once we've done the 87 Premiership, the Carly Rae Jepsen albums, yeah. we've done all the Rugby League World is Cups. Carly Rae Jepsen done albums on Mania. Yeah, it is now. Okay. Steve Walsh We've games. done Steve Walsh games. Whose movies was it we were doing? Reese Witherspoon? Reese Witherspoon movies. We did Fishermania, obviously. We're yeah, go yeah, all yeah. Off. Big time. All I of think the, the Zimbabwean qualifying. Zimbabwe qualifying. Yeah. African qualifying for the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Once we've watched the Uruguayan leagues back, I think we should do that. We should go through every Shane Williams try and rank them. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. From best to shittest. In fact, no, we'll go from shittest to best. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows the best ones. It's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's terrible, but apparently it's worth five points. <laughs> Obviously, James Hook missed the conversion, though. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't be stupid. I don't need to say that. Everyone knows that. <laughs> so he misses it, right? And Wales immediately remain class and attack yeah, on the yeah, kickoff. Yeah. It's Duncan Jones on the wing, man. Makes a difference. I know. He's so valuable. <laughs> Making impact. He's still there. There's a few moments of Shane being majestic and just, like, glorious in this game. And Mark Jones as well, I think, has a good game, but he's often given no ball. Like, there's a few times he's given passes where either the pass has already gone into touch by the time it gets there. Or he's just like, 
Do you what? What do you want me to do yeah. with this? I think Mark Jones in the two Wales games we've watched has set a record for most forward passes collected of anybody yes. ever seen that aren't given. Like he's had to pat, he's had to overrun and catch balls that are in front of him more than anybody else. I don't have to reflect Wait, on Tom to Shanklin or what. Yes, yeah, oh yeah. I tell you what though, right? Shane Williams, mm. he's bloody great, isn't he? Right? He's really but, good. <laughs> There is no great... T- We've just talked about something terrible that he happened to finish, right? And yeah, he still scored, didn't he? Yeah, he still scored, right? There's no greater testament in this game to how bloody great he is than when Wales do this quite nice attack, you know, that they, they get it on the outside, the, the ball goes from Kevin Morgan's hands through to James Hooks, and then James Hook, you know, does a, t- a pretty trademark move of his and passes to the floor. Yes. And the ball just goes along the floor, and it's horrible. And Shane Williams just picks it up and is just like, oh, okay, yeah, I can just step around everybody now. It's not, not a problem. Yeah. Did you want to score from this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cool, I can get us most of the way. Yeah, can just and like, steps inside Latham and does this brilliant offload to Martin Williams. It's like weirdly, Shane's pickup and just clearing up of James Hook's mess there is so good that you almost think Wales are going to score, if not for the fact that Mike Phillips forgets he's playing rugby for a moment. That's the yeah. So Wales get into the twenty-two, and if they score this, they're at least getting a losing bonus point out of this game. Yeah, and they look nailed on to score it. Except yeah. Mike Phillips picks the ball up. He has that typical Mike Phillips thinking about it for a few seconds, and then he just throws the worst pass. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know, he picks the wrong option, he delivers it badly. With one minute left, like... Yeah, um, and it just gives the ball straight back to Australia. Yeah. And yeah, the game doesn't go on much longer. My last note is Phillips, no, shut up, in all caps. <laughs> My last one is Phillips pass sort of intercepted-ish, I don't know. Full-time Wales flattered. Yeah. Wales are good for ten minutes of this game. Yeah. Like, they are solid for the last ten minutes when they're against no one. And they are competent for the first 12 minutes before they have to defend. Yes. And everything in between is terrible. Australia are good enough, right? And this was the other big team in their pool. Yeah. This was the kind of big clash. This was being sold as one of the highest tier tickets, hence the prices. You know, this was being billed as very much one of the biggest clashes of the World Cup. Australia, I think they were less standout than they were against Japan. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think I that think Australia was, was fine. The performance was referred to as satisfactory by the coach and captain. Yeah, they were fine. They were all right, and they got a bonus point win without the opposition getting a you know a sniff yeah. of a try bonus point. And I say, only really looking any good once you went down to thirteen. Perfectly adequate Wales team. Like this yeah. is probably the strongest team they could have picked, and yet yeah, there we are. Like at this point, you've basically confirmed your cruising through on perfect points. Yeah, in the pool stage. Yeah, like Australia there have just booked themselves into the best tier quarterfinal. They look sorted. They look fine. Easy. They look grand. Easy. Yeah. Should we look at man match dick of the day then? We should. We should. We should. Where do you want to start? Should we start dick of the day? Okay. Someone like having man of the match contention is Gareth Jenkins for bringing Kevin Morgan on instead of James Hook when a centre went off injured. Because I think that was a great move. But ultimately, really he did down. still bring James Hook on early. Yeah, that's true. And you could have put Mike Phillips in the centre. Duncan Jones, man. You could have put Duncan Jones King. on the wing. Yeah. You could have put Michael Owen on for his hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever you could have put Alex Popmon at fullback. Lots of options. Loads and loads well, of them. Yeah. And ultimately, he did still put James Hook on. I think that's a dick of the day worthy idea. You've got Alan Wynne-Jones for accidentally tackling Shane by trying to hurdle him. 
I had down, is, by the way, I had down Alan mm. Jones for the fact that at one point he jumped really confidently for a kickoff and was nowhere near the ball. The ball just went straight over his head and bounced into an Australian's hands. He makes a break at one point. He just puts his head down and goes. Yeah, that's pretty good. Which is always a rare sight, that injury. Yeah. But honestly, like, it's not a nice one. It's not a good one. But my dick of the day is Dwayne Peel for being shit. Okay, fair enough. Sometimes and I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't have a nomination, you know. Like it felt cruel to pick on Stephen Jones when he had a really good game yeah. and he dropped one high ball, <laughs> and everyone else is kind of a bit all over the place. But Dwayne Peel, I just felt really viscerally disappointed watching him mm. all the time. I know what you mean because he kept like his skills were really good, but he kept taking just such poor decisions. Yeah, uh, I felt like I was watching the Scars first half of the season. <laughs> He was uncharacteristically bad for James for I don't, Peel. That's it. Like it was just a. It was one of those performances where I know this wasn't the case because I watched Dwayne Peel play enough and I've watched him play, you know, retrospectively as well. Where I was like, oh, was he just bad? Yeah. Was, did we just overrate him because we were desperate for a scrum off, or did he have one burst of form in two thousand and five yeah. that he then never lived up to? And I don't think that was the case. No. I think he just had a really bad game. Yeah, I think. But so. it made me question my beliefs. We did this in nineteen eighty seven with like Michael Liner. Bear in mind when we first watched him play. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Matt Gallagher's dad as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. So like, I don't like to give it, but I didn't have anyone else. Yeah, exactly, and that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And I, what there was like a genuine sinking feeling in seeing him play back. Yes, yes. No, no, I had exactly the same thing. As a player, as you say, we both enjoyed greatly as children. Yes, absolutely. I've got down Mark Jones for at one point he goes for a kick and completely misses the ball with his foot. Wait Which... a second, I've got James Hooks playing. Why didn't I give it to James Hook? Sorry, please continue. <laughs> I just wanted to leave that with you for a moment. There's an interviewer who is unnamed. He interviews Stephen Jones at the end of the game and goes like, oh yeah, you know, uh, what went wrong with today with Wales? And then he was like, oh, you know, we just weren't as good as Australia. Like, you know, their, their forwards bully does, you know, their backline were really good. Scored a load of tries past us. You know, our defence needs to be a lot better. And then goes, yeah, but there was that individual area you made, isn't there? And it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, mate. Like, wow. talk about kicking a man when he's down. So ultimately, my dick of the day is James Hawk for dropping that ball that Stephen Jones dropped. Here's the thing, right? I've had a lot of time to reflect on what I just did. I've had a lot of time to really think about the errors I've made as a person. And I want to begin by apologising to Dwayne Peel. I want to say that I was wrong. I was incorrect. I was disappointed in your performance. And I expected better of you. But also, this was 15 years ago and I've moved on. (laughs) You've moved on. And so, I'm going to change my dick of the day to be James Hook. So we both given James Hook dick of the day for something he didn't do. <laughs> well, for yeah, no that, reason. I mean, he did. He, he did, did chuck the ball touch. into touch on his first touch. Yeah, you know, true. like it wasn't good, was it? Yeah, he's far from it. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Meeting adjourned. I feel like no. I feel like I've been. I've committed to the Dwayne Peel thing. I talked for long enough. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to give them both dick of the day. I'm allowed. All right. Yeah. Go on then. Go on then. I won't stop you from doing that. Man of the match. I'm going to just quickly rattle through these because we've been talking for a yes. while. Uh, one of them I've got written down is Dan Vickerman. He was fantastic. Mm. Uh, as I say, like got turnovers at crucial times. Just really solid second row. For the record, I have no Welsh players written down for Man of the Match. And I have no Australian I... players written down for Dick of the Day. I think Nugget was he not was a contender. For... He wasn't Man of the Match contention, but I think he was his best player. Agreed. Agreed. Man of the Match for me absolutely has to be Matt Gitto. He is just superior to anything that Wales could possibly throw in his way. Takes his try very well, runs a good line, throws some 
absolutely blinding passes. Kicks really well. We've not really talked about that, but like his kicks in behind mm. were so good other than the one he kicked dead. Yeah, Matt Gitto's man of the match. I just love him. So yeah, I was similarly entirely focused on Australian as far as man of the match. I know we've primarily talked about Wales in this game, but I mean, Jean-Michel Jarre was a real contender for me as yeah, well. Yeah. I thought he was excellent. John Smith agrees. But I think Sterling Mortlock had a really good first half then obviously came off early in the second half. Could have kept that up. You know, we could have seen something there. And I thought Beric Barnes, again, really solid, really tidy, like unfussy. And there weren't standout moments except for the Gitto try, but I thought it was very good. But for me, it was kind of a two-horse race between Matt Gitto and George Gregan. Okay. And I think Gregan was just like, everything he did, he did correctly. Yeah. Whereas I felt like Gitto would... Whereas Gregan was in the game a lot and consistently taking right options, Gitto was turning up and having huge match-changing, game-turning actions, having things that had enormous consequences for the context sure, of the game, sure. which was quite loose and quite even for a lot of the run of it, even if Wales were terrible whenever they had a chance yeah. to do something, but I think Australia were great when they did. So it's a really difficult one. Do I go for the player that's more that was I felt was better throughout the run of the game or the player that had the bigger impact on the scoreline? And I think I would have gone for Gitto if you hadn't, but we've gone for the same option too often, so I'm going to have to... <laughs> I was going to say that. I don't want, want to influence you. So I'm going to go for George Gregan. Fair enough. Going to chalk up another one. Cool. Putting him, again, up the leaderboard and now level with Scott Lawson. Yes. And Akapusi Angera, but mostly Scott Lawson on the player of the tournament rankings. It's amazing the power of having guests on. <laughs> Mate, Foy de Prier is cleaning this up. So... Thank you very much for all of the rugby. I hope you are having a really lovely time and you greatly enjoyed all of the Jean-Michel, I can't talk about it enough, I shouldn't know his name, Jean-Michel Jarre chat, one of my favourite genres of rugby podcast. You don't get this on bloody Big Jim and Goody, do you? No, you don't. Not enough chat of french new wave composers but there should be yeah not and yet. there will be more no doubt next week when we will be covering new zealand against portugal a 100 point encounter yeah portugal really showed up <laughs> we'll see you then until then have a lovely week and i hope you have lots of friends that you spend it with and they are kind to you and we will see you then Goodbye. My Instagram DMs are open if you change your name to Andrew Rio. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.